أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وإذ يرفع إبراهيم القواعد من البيت وإسماعيل ربنا تقبل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولاه ثم ما بعد آية نمبر 127 أفل بقرة the conversation between Allah Azza wa Jal and Ibrahim alayhi salam continues. And now Allah Azza wa Jal, after the, just as a brief reminder, previous part of the conversation was, Ibrahim alayhi salam asked for the extension of rizq. He asked for peace and prosperity for his believing children. And Allah said, even the disbelievers, قَلِيلًا I will let them enjoy a bit also. And I will provide them with sustenance as well, a little bit. And then I will drag them and enforce them into the punishment of the fire. One of the things I didn't mention last time is that we look around us and we find disbelievers. And even at the time of the Messenger, disbelievers that had a lot of wealth. And so much so that even in some places in the Qur'an, uh, Allah Azza wa Jal told His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam وَلَا تَعَدُوا عَيْنَاكَ عَنْهُمْ Don't turn your eyes towards them Don't turn, let your eyes turn away from the weak of the Sahaba And especially don't be impressed with those who have We've given a lot of wealth to them So on, one, on the one hand and even at the end of Quran Allah Azza wa Jal talks about the ilaf of the Quraysh The caravans of the Quraysh And they had a lot Their caravans in the summer and the winter They got to enjoy a lot of wealth so how come here Allah Azza wa Jal tells about the same Quraysh and even as an extension all of the kuffar you know وَمَنْ كَفَرَ فَأُمَتِّعُهُ قَلِيلًا Then even the disbeliever I'll let him enjoy I'll, I'll, have, I'll let him get things in this life a little bit a little bit What we're learning here is in comparison to what we get in the akhirah this is nothing No matter how well and how much of a financial means of financial means the disbeliever may enjoy it's nothing minuscule compared to what they're going to get and it's really going to feel like nothing, especially when it's in comparison with the hellfire that awaits. وَإِذْ يَرْفَعُوا إِبْرَاهِيمُ الْقَوَاعِدَ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ And when Ibrahim السلام, was raising the foundations out of the house, meaning of the Kaaba, وَإِسْمَعِيلُ And alongside with him, Ismail as well. Ismail is also the fa'il of the fi'l, it's also the subject of the verb. And as is Ibrahim, they're both marfur, they have a dhamma at the end. But Ismail السلام, is pushed at the end of the statement, the benefit of that is to let us know that the chief architect is Ibrahim salam, And Ismail salam is in the helping position. So he's put in the secondary position in the sentence way down the line. So we hear, وَإِذْ يَرْفَعُوا إِبْرَاهِيمُ الْقَوَاعِدَ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ وَإِسْمَعِيلُ It's like Ismail is again the assistant to the task. But then we find, رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ minna. What did they say? Actually, I was talking to the students earlier today in our, in our Arabic class about this. When Allah Azza wa Jal talks about something, and a lot of times in the Qur'an, there will be a scene. Like here, there's a scene. Remember when Ibrahim was raising the foundations of the house along with Ismail? But then there's a verb in the middle missing. And they said, now what did they say? رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ As they were saying, as they were building the house, they were saying, رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ But the verb, they were saying, is not mentioned. And this is a means of imagery in the Qur'an. That you're supposed to just imagine the scene. And you're supposed to just imagine them saying this, without having to spell out that they were saying it. It's a means of immersing ourselves into that image. 
So immediately the transition goes into what they were saying continually. Rabbana taqabbal minna. Our master. Rabbana, by the way, is a means of dua. See the fatha on the ba, rabba, rabbana. When you find that in the Quran, most of the time, at least especially in the beginnings of statements, it's, a, it's an uslub, it's a form of dua. Unlike what you find in Surah Al-Kahf, you find Rabbuna Rabbu Samawati Wal Ard in Surah Al-Kahf. That's not a dua, that's a statement of fact. So the munada, when you, when you call someone, you'll find that fatha. So in most of the duas you've memorized like Rabbana Atina Fid Dunya, right? Rabbana Waj'alna Muslimani Lak. Those kinds of dua, that fatha actually indicates that this is a munada you're calling on Allah. It's a means of calling on Allah. But the reason I'm calling your attention to it is because the previous ayat, if you look, Ibrahim alayhi salam, he said, Rabbi ja'al hada. My master, my Lord, Rabbi. It was about himself, but now the dua is Rabbana, our Lord. He includes Ismail alayhi salam in his dua. And this is also really important because you know in the previous ayah Allah told him not all of his children are going to be believers. And not all of his, Allah's guarantee is not extended to everyone. So in his genius, Ibrahim salam decides to do two things. One, I'm going to ask Allah as I'm doing one of the greatest acts that can be done. Building Allah's house. And I'm building it with my son, so he's doing a good deed too. And since I know this is a deed that's been accepted by Allah, that he knows. Obviously this is a command from Allah. So it's a deed that has been approved by Allah Himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's no way this dua is getting turned down. But as part of my genius, as his genius, what does he do? He includes his son in this dua. So if I can't have guarantees for all of my generations, at least I know for sure the chances of this one getting accepted are pretty high. Rabbana taqabbal minna. Our Lord accept from both of us. Accept from us, not from me, from us. What's awesome also is, it's been commented that Ibrahim alayhi salam has already been accepted in the beginning of this passage. Allah already told him, إِنِّي جَاعِلُكَ لِلنَّاسِ إِمَامًا I'm making you imam over all people. If that's not acceptance, I don't know what is. So his acceptance is already there. But in a very, you know, in a very sharp fashion, what is he including now into that acceptance? His son Ismail alayhi salam. At least guarantee me my immediate future generation. So he says, رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ Other very important benefits from this ayah that shouldn't be ignored and we should be very conscious of, is that you and, I, you, you and I get a chance to do good deeds sometimes. For example, we get to attend the salat in the masjid, or we get to maybe get, go for the opportunity for those of us who are capable in terms of health and finance to go to hajj, or to take advantage of the fasting and good deeds and recitation of Qur'an in Ramadan, things like that. We get opportunities to do good deeds, and when we do them, we feel like, yeah, I did good this year. Oh, this, this was pretty good, I accomplished some major good deeds. Now, as opposed to that, if we think about Ibrahim, Ibrahim alayhi salam, this is no small good deed. He's building Allah's house. And not just any house, this is the Kaaba. If we talk about, you know, we, you know when masjid fundraisers are done and stuff, you're, you're, one of the encouragements given to you is every penny we put into this masjid, for every brick, every time somebody comes in here and makes sajda, I have a share in that. I have a share in the reward. Can you imagine the rewards of someone who's putting the foundations of the Kaaba together? Like how big of a deal that is that he's building it with his hands, with his son alayhi salam. So it's the, one of the most noble, I mean if you're talking about opportunity to do a good deed, this would be one of the top opportunities in history to do a good deed, right? And yet at the same time, even though he's been accepted by Allah, even though he's a prophet of Allah, a messenger of Allah, he's from the ulul azam in al-rusul, he's already been told you already passed all your tests. Even after all of that, he's not so sure that what he's doing is good enough or is acceptable to Allah. 
So at the end of even that amazing task, what does he say? رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَا I'm not sure if this was good enough. Oh Allah, whatever shortcomings there may have been, please accept it from us anyway. I mention this because when we do acts of ibadah, we shouldn't assume, ah, at least this one's done, I have to worry about other things. No, no, no. How do we know this one got accepted? We're supposed to be in a state of humility in regards to our good deeds. In regards to our good deeds. And it's a very important thing to keep, it, keep fresh in, a, in the mind of a believer. Because when we're not conscious of constantly seeking Allah's permission and Allah's acceptance of our good deeds, and we start assuming that our good deeds have been accepted, then what seeps into our character is self-righteousness. You start assuming that you are a good person, that I am a good person. And that's a very dangerous attitude to have. To feel that you are safe now from hypocrisy, or you're safe from the weakness of iman, or you're, all your deeds are good, you're done. No, no, no. We have to walk that finally. We have to be hopeful that Allah accepts our deeds, and we have to be afraid that they won't get accepted. We have to have that line in between. That's what this dua teaches us. رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ Certainly you're, the, you're truly the one that is all hearing. Meaning you're hearing this dua. And you know the intention behind this dua too. You know what is behind this dua. So ilm is beyond sama'ah. Sama'ah is what you say, somebody hears. But ilm is what, what, you, what no, somebody didn't even say what they had in their heart, he knows that too. So when dua is made, there's one thing that we know that Allah hears the dua. But here's also an acknowledgement that Allah knows what is the intent, the sincerity, the desperation, right? The demand from Allah, the, the longing for Allah to accept that dua, that is also there, so He accepts that both of them are being gauged by Allah. رَبَّنَا وَجْعَلْنَا مُسْلِمَيْنِ لَكَ Our Master, just make, her, make us Muslim just for you. وَجْعَلْنَا مُسْلِمَيْنِ both, both of us, both of us who? Ibrahim and Ismail السلام, Make both of us Muslim just for you. لَكَ for you Now Muslim for you What does that mean? Make us of those Who are always In submission Always Who give up their will There's always Two options in front of you What do I want to do? What does Allah want me to do? Make us of those Who always think of What does Allah want us to do? And they give up their will And they take Allah's will This is what Islam Literally means To give up To submit To submit what? To submit what you want And accept what Allah wants That's Islam that's what he's, what he's talking about. Submitting before Allah's will. So he says, make us of those who always submit before you. This ism fa'il is used. You know. So instead of saying, nuslim, nuslim lak. Rabbana waj'al nuslimu lak. Nuslimu bin the mudari' form. That wouldn't have permanence in it. Muslimayni, just keep us Muslim. Just keep us that way. Keep us always in that state of submission. وَمِن ذُرِّيَّتِنَا أُمَّةً مُسْلِمَةً لَكَ You remember he asked about his future generations. What did Allah say? He said, only, if we only give peace and prosperity to my believing children. Allah said, no, even the disbeliever, I'll give him a little also. He's coming back to his future generations. The first part of the dua was about his immediate son, but now he comes back to the future generation of his and his son. He says, okay, fine, I can't ask for my entire future generations, because I've already asked that one, and I have the answer for that one already. So he says, min dhurriyatina? What does min mean? From, out of, out of our future generations... Ummatan muslimatan like at least one group, at least one ummah, ummatan muslimatan, one ummah that remains in submission to you. Okay, we know we can't have all of them, but at least guarantee me one. One group should remain straight. And this is a very powerful dua, because he knows there have been people before who had a following of believers, but after a couple of generations, not even one group remained. 
that was on the truth. The entire nation was gone. So he's begging Allah, at least keep one ummah intact. One ummah, ummatan muslimatan lak. Wa arina manasikana. And on top of that, show us our rituals. Now the beauty of this is, show us our rituals, is at the end of, towards the end of the supplication, he's building what house? The Kaaba. So he's begging Allah to show him how to worship Allah at the Kaaba. But when he says Arina this time, the na, it is not just Ibrahim and Ismail who has just been included now in, as the dua progresses. The future generations too. Show all of us our rituals. In other words, show us how to do hajj. Show us how to make salah. Salah is part of the ritual towards the Kaaba. Hajj is a ritual towards the Kaaba. Umrah is a ritual for the Kaaba. Show us up, arina manasikana. It's including everybody now. He's, he's including all of his lineage in it. Watub alayna and accept our tawbah. Accept our tawbah. It's not enough, you know, philosophically speaking a little bit, just thinking outside of the box and speaking to those who are not in our faith. They say, I love God. You know, there are people who say, I don't follow religion, but I love God. He's awesome. You know, I believe in Him too. What does He want you to do? Well, He tells me in my heart what I should be doing. I met crazy people like that. I used to, when I used to live in New York, one of my co-workers, she used to say, yeah, you know what happened last night? I saw God in my dream. And he told me what I should have for lunch today and stuff. It's like, what's, what's wrong with you? That wasn't God, that was the devil. You know, you're confused. You know, but the idea that I'm going to figure out for myself what Allah wants. No, we have to ask Allah to show us what He wants from us. We can't know that for ourselves. You know, some narrations tell us that before Islam came, there were people sincerely wanting to worship Allah, and the ignorance had spread so far and wide, that at the house of Allah that Ibrahim salam built, they did not know how to worship Allah. So the only thing they could figure out of their creative juice was, oh, we'll just take all of our clothes off and dance around the Kaaba naked, and this will be our way to worship Allah. They didn't know. They just didn't know. So when Allah's Messenger comes sallallahu and teaches us these rituals, it is a fulfillment of the dua of Ibrahim alayhisalam. And accept our tawbah. And subhanAllah, if you look at the correlation between the Qur'an and the sunnah of Allah's Messenger sallallahu one of the promises of the Messenger for a hajj that is accepted is what? What is one of the great benefits of the hajj being accepted? Of a hajj mabrur? Forgiveness, your tawbah is accepted, clean slate. And Ibrahim salam says, as he's building the Kaaba, show us the rituals and accept our tawbah. Accept our tawbah alayna. Inna tawabur rahim. Certainly you're the only one who keeps turning back. Tawab is just a mubalagha. This is what I'm ending with today. Tawab is just a mubalagha. You know what that means? You keep turning back and you keep turning back and you keep turning back. You know human beings can be forgiving too. Human beings have the ability to be forgiving. When somebody makes a mistake, Let's say at work, your employee makes a mistake, you forgive it the first time He makes the same mistake again, you forgive it a second time Three, four, five, six, seven, after like three times you're like, you're fired Why am I fired? Because I let you go the first time Then I let you go the second time, I can't keep doing this with you I'm done with you He says, no, I'm really sorry And you say, no, no, you said that last time too I'm done, I don't have that kind of time The teacher can do that, the student fails one exam He says, okay, one more he fills another exam, he says, okay, fine, I accept your tawbah this time too. The third time around, he says, you know what, sorry, this is over. I'm, I'm kicking you out, you're done, you're finished. Right? This happens in many relationships. But our relationship with Allah, we mess up, we make tawbah. We, even if we make sincere tawbah, is it possible we mess up again? Absolutely. Our, our track record shows this way. 
our, our, our resume is pretty bad, right? We go back to Allah again, He accepts Tawbah again. We say, okay, we won't do it again, we promise, then we make the mistake again. We go back to Allah again, and guess what? Does He say no more for you? No, Tawab, He keeps accepting Tawbah. But what's beautiful about this ayah is Ibrahim salam is asking for Tawbah first and foremost for who? For himself. And, and second in line for Ismail salam, and third in line for his future generations. Now for his future generations, I understand Tawbah. What we have to wrap our heads around is what is the Tawbah of Ibrahim salam? What is he making Tawbah for? What is Ismail salam making Tawbah for? When we think of Tawbah, we think of eating haram, backbiting, lying, cheating, stealing, not giving somebody their right, missing the fard prayers. We think of tawbah for bad things we do. Ibrahim alayhi salam, that's out of the question. You know what he's making tawbah for? The good things he's done. The good things he's done, and he's convinced they may, have not, may not have been good enough. So he considers that a shortcoming. Can you imagine the difference in standard? Our standard is we make tawbah for bad deeds. He's making tawbah and istighfar for good deeds that could have been better according to him. SubhanAllah, when we talk about the messengers being at a different level than ourselves, we have to appreciate what that means. You know? What is it, and this came up in, in dars the other time too, in, on Sunday, when the messenger makes istighfar. What is he making istighfar for? Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. There's a difference between when you and I make istighfar and what we make istighfar for and what Allah's Messenger makes istighfar for. When we say that may Allah forgive our, our mistakes, dhamb. And when the Messenger calls his mistake a dhamb, sallallahu alayhi wa our dhamb and his dhamb are worlds apart. Our, wor- our best deed wouldn't even amount to his worst dhamb. There's no comparison even. There's two different standards we're talking about. So when, when we just look at translation and don't appreciate these powerful differences, some great aspects of just the, uh, the regard we're supposed to have, the respect we're supposed to have for prophets, والسلام, is lost. I make it a point to emphasize this more because we are in a time where respect is not easily found. People don't have respect for anything nowadays. We don't have respect for time, we don't have respect for ourselves, family members, elders, youth, Wives, husbands, parents, imams, fellow Muslims, co-workers. We just don't have respect. We don't, you don't even have respect for the guy you're driving next to. You don't have respect. You don't have respect for co-workers, for fellow peers in classes. Respect is missing. And when respect in these small things is missing, it can get worse and worse until you don't even have enough respect as you should have for bigger things. Like Allah's book. You know, like deen. Like the Qur'an, like the Messenger himself, sallallahu alayhi wa When you find that people are getting lazy in saying sallallahu alayhi wa it's a pretty good sign that respect is going down. We have to keep this, these things alive. And no, well, I tell you, wallahi, nobody will teach your children and my children, nobody will teach them, not in a Sunday school, not in a khutbah, not in a halaqa, not in a lecture, not in a YouTube video. Nobody will teach your children respect for Allah's messengers like you will. Nobody will teach them that. You have to sit and talk to them about it. You have to remind them over and over again. You have to build in them that love of the prophets, والسلام, especially our messenger wasallam. May Allah give us that love and respect of the prophets, والسلام, and may Allah teach us to become people of, people of tawbah, like the messengers themselves were. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim, wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم
ربنا وبعث فيهم رسولا منهم يتلو عليهم آياتك ويعلمهم الكتاب والحكمة ويعلمهم الكتاب والحكمة ويزكيهم إنك أنت العزيز الحكيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ثم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته we're reading from the 129th ayah of Surah Al-Baqarah in which the dua of Ibrahim salam is completed. He says, Rabbana, our Lord, wab'ath, our, our Master, wab'ath fihim, and additionally appoint among them, raise from among them. Ba'atha in Arabic is an interesting word. It's, u- it's used for appointing someone and also to elevate someone. So it, it, uh, it does two things at the same time. One, there's ta'yeen in it, like ayyana we say nowadays in Arabic, or mayyaza even to distinguish someone in Arabic. To, to appoint someone, but at the same time to give them a higher status than the ones he was picked from. So he was from among the ummiyin, but because of the use of the word ba'atha, it is already implied that the one who will be chosen by Allah will have a higher status. Like Allah highlights, for example, the status of Allah's Messenger وسلم, despite the fact that he's from among the Arabs and among the Sahaba, وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ فِيكُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ فِيكُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Know that, that even amongst you, even though he's amongst you, it is the Messenger of Allah, there is a difference. Right? So that's implicated or implied inside the word ba'atha. Ba'atha fihim, a point from among them, also understand among them is important. Um, and then it's reiterated again, Rasulam minhum. So a point among them, a messenger who is from them. Now appointing in their midst a messenger, by that, that alone in the language could imply that the messenger will be from outside, but it will, have, will be living in them and fr- within them he was picked. But then he erases minhum on top of that, he should be from them. The messenger should be from them. And here we learn something very, uh, very subtle about the methodology of da'wah. That if you, if you look at the da'wah of the messengers, with very few exception, you'll find that the, the primary audience of all prophets were their own people. They were with their own people. And part of the legitimacy of accepting the call of a messenger was, this is our own, this is from our own people. Right, And it's interesting, inshallah, at another opportunity, uh, perhaps in the Madani surahs we'll discuss this in more detail, but you'll find even the, the Sahaba and their, them being proactive when it comes to giving da'wah, it was different when they were among their own people, and it was different when they went to different tribes. Like their methodology differed. So for instance, when you find the Muslims in Habasha, and the way they carried themselves is very different than how the Muslims carried themselves in, in Mecca. Because now they're among the people that are not of their own as opposed to the Sahaba in Mecca are among the people that are, are, that are of uh, their own. And the effectiveness, even though we're not going to talk about this, the strategy aspect of it yet, but the effectiveness of it at least. How much of a bigger impact does it have that your own people call you to something as opposed to an outsider? I mean, think of it even from our contemporary point of view. Some of the, some of the most powerful da'is we have to Islam in this country are people that came to Islam and when people look at them they don't see Pakistani, they don't see Egyptian, they don't see Bangladeshi, they don't see Turkish, they don't see Indonesian. What do they see first? American. Right? Those are some of the most powerful da'is we have. It's, it, even if you don't agree with the, you know, the, the religious aspect of it, if you look at it just point, point bank strategically, you'll see there's a huge difference. When, and, and when somebody on the outside tries to tell you something, there are two barriers now. The first barrier is the message itself. 
This is an alien message to me. Why should I change everything about my life? On top of that, now there's another psychological barrier. You're from the outside. You're going to tell me how to live. It's like you're saying, you people, you or your people are better than mine. So there's another barrier placed. But when it's a person from within, from within your ranks, at least one of those barriers is dropped. So it's part of the genius of Ibrahim salam that he asked that a messenger that comes should be from among them. Rasulam minhum. Then he says, what should he do? Yatlu alayhim ayatika. He will read onto them. He will tala yatlu tilawa in Arabic comes in two meanings, to read and to follow. I mentioned this to you before. Right? Yatlu alayhim ayatika. He will read onto them your miraculous signs. He will read your revelations onto them. And yatlu is important here because if he's reading, when you read something, then it's different from speaking. Right now, as, as I'm talking to you right now, I am speaking. But when I say, yatlu alayhim ayatika, I'm reading from the Mus'haf. Those are not my words, those are the words of the Mus'haf. Describing the Prophet, Allah Azza wa Jal, or, or Ibrahim alayhi salam asked Allah, he should be someone who doesn't say what you want, he reads your ayat onto the people. In other words, the words he says aren't his own. They are being given to him. Revelation is being given to him. That's embedded inside these words, yatlu alayhim ayatika. Then he says, وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ And he will teach them the book. And the book also in Arabic, in classical Arabic, implies the law. He will teach them the book, also means he will teach them the law. And the word يُعَلِّمُ is important too. Because عَلَّمَ يُعَلِّمُ in Arabic means something that takes time to learn. Teaching that takes time. It's not done just, here you go, this is haram, done. It's not like that. That's ikhbar in Arabic. Akhbara an shay'in. Inform or a'lama even to inform somebody of something immediately, that's something else. So the Messenger's job is not just to inform people of what the law is, of what Allah's law is, but to teach them. Now, in teaching, you have to say it, then you have to review it, then you have to test it. You know, you have to take time, and it, it takes time to sink. So he's being sent as a teacher of law, وسلم, which means there's this tarbiya aspect of it embedded inside the ayah. You know, he didn't just say, you know, yatlu alayhim ayatika wa kitabaka. He'll read onto the people your ayat and he will read your book and that, your laws and that's it, he's done. No, 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 he'll teach the laws. Reading the ayat versus teaching the laws. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit in a second and the differences between them. And he will also teach them wa yu'allimuhum al-kitaba wal-hikmata, which implies wa yu'allimuhum al-hikmata. He'll teach them wisdom. Here we learn also wisdom is not something you can just tell someone. When we think of a wise anecdote, right? It's some wise saying you may hear. And you say, oh, that's pretty deep. But you, you heard it, but you didn't learn it. Learning wisdom means that you not only remember it, but you learn to you live by it. Now you've learned it. It takes time to, you know, learn wisdom. It doesn't come, you know, quickly. So, يُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ And finally, وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ And he will cleanse them. He'll purify them. زَكَّى يُزَكِّي تَزْكِيَ Is to cleanse, to purify, to remove impurities. Now, we have to talk about a few things here. First, the difference between yatlu alayhim ayatik and wayu'allimuhum al-kitab. Yatlu alayhim ayatik is such a beautiful logical progression when he reads the ayat onto people. When he reads the ayat onto people. This, what this implies is, we talked about this on Sunday, proliferation. He's just reading the ayat, he's spreading the message. And the ayat are getting far and wide. But when some people hear the ayat, some of them are drawn to this message. And they come closer to the Prophet And those who come closer to him become his students. And this, when they become students, he becomes the what? He becomes the teacher. So يُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابِ يُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابِ And of course, when you learn for a long time, that is when you start seeing what? Wisdom. 
Wisdom doesn't come first. You may learn in the beginning and later on you may see the wisdom in things. So this happens in any field, by the way. Those who are experienced in a particular field, they have a lot more wisdom in that field than someone who's read a lot more books than them. Right? There's book knowledge and then there's wisdom. Wisdom is a combination of book knowledge and experience. Right? So it comes a little later. And finally, he adds one more thing. As though teaching or educating is not enough, and he will also cleanse them, he'll purify them. This purification, I've also mentioned to you tazkiyah before, is made up of two things. There's an intellectual cleansing, and there's a character cleansing. You can even call it a spiritual cleansing. The intellectual cleansing is you have false ideas. You believe in the wrong things. You have your own idea of what it, what it means to be good or what, what it means to be bad. What to believe and what not to believe. He cleanses all that filth out and replaces it with truth. That's one. Second is our character has, has filth. Not just the ideas can have impurities. Our character can have impurities. The way you carry yourself, the way you speak, the way you do business, the way you deal, deal with your family, the way you dress, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you spend your time. All of these can be dirty. And so he comes, not only does he educate, and tell people about the ayat, he is in the process of cleansing people also. He purifies them. What an ingenious dua that, that Ibrahim made asking for these very particular four things that a prophet will do. Then he says, إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَزِيزُ hakim." Certainly you're the ultimate authority and you're the, you're the all-wise. You are capable of doing that. You're the authority. I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm giving that, leaving that authority with you. Allah Azza wa Jal. What's interesting about this ayah is that it's mentioned twice more in the Qur'an. Similar syntax is mentioned twice more. Once in Ali Imran and once in Surah Al-Jumu'ah. And the other two times that it's mentioned, the sequence is altered. The sequence is not the same. Allah Azza wa Jal says in, in, in Ali Imran, He says, لَقَدْ مَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ بَعَثَ فِيهِمْ رَسُولًا مِنْ أَنفُسِهِمْ يَتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ so Allah did a favor upon the believers when He raised among them a messenger from among themselves that's similar to this one. Then He says, "Yetlu alayhim ayatihi." He reads onto them His ayat that's similar to this one, right? Then He says, "Wa yuzakihim," and He purifies them. "Wa yuallimuhum al-kitaba wal-hikmah," and He teaches them the book and the wisdom. So, is it exactly the same or no? There is some difference. Did you notice what difference there was? That the purification instead of getting mentioned at the end, now it's mentioned second. Here what was mentioned was first he teaches the ayat or he reads the ayat on the people, he teaches the book and the wisdom and finally purification is mentioned. There the, alter, the sequence is altered. Then you look at Surah Al-Jumu'ah. In Surah Al-Jumu'ah Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "Huwa alladhi ba'atha fil ummiyina rasulan minhum yatlu alayhim ayatihi wa yuzakkihim wa yu'allimuhum al-kitaba wal hikmah wa in kanu min qablu lafi dhalalin mubin." He's the, he, Allah is the one who appointed. He's the one who appointed among the unlettered, a messenger from among themselves, who reads the, uh, the ayat, his ayat onto them. He purifies them. He teaches them the book and the wisdom. Once again, a different sequence. So the first observation I want you to make is that when Ibrahim salam is speaking, the sequence is something else. The other two times, Allah is speaking. And the sequence is something else. So the two times that Allah speaks, the sequence is different. The one time that Ibrahim salam speaks, the sequence is different. The, the one we're studying right now is which one? Who's speaking in this one? It's Ibrahim salam. This, this is the one Ibrahim salam is speaking. Now, understand what's, what's coming before. What's coming before is Ibrahim salam. If you've been keeping up with the past few weeks, Ibrahim salam makes dua, Allah says, No, وَمَنْ كَفَرَ فَأُمَتِّعُهُ قَلِيلًا Ibrahim salam says, Only feed my believing children. No, 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 not, not, not your children. First, actually, first he said, وَمِن ذُرِّيَتِي What about all my kids? He said, لَا يَنَلُوا عَهْدِ الظَّالِمِينَ Right? 
Now he's, the, the du'as are progressing. And finally, there's this du'a. In the passage of Baqarah, this is the last du'a of Ibrahim salam. And after this du'a, you don't find a response from Allah. What does that mean? Every other du'a had a rebuttal, had a response. But this du'a, these last two du'as, رَبَّنَا وَجْعَلْنَا مُسْلِمَيْنِ لَكَ وَمِن ذُرِّيَّتِنَا أُمَّةً مُسْلِمَةً لَكَ وَأَرِنَا مَنَاسِكَنَا وَتُبْ عَلَيْنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ تَبَابُ الرَّحِيمِ And then this du'a, this du'a also, at the end of it, there's no response from Allah, which means it is accepted. But Allah did one more than accept. Allah didn't just accept, He perfected the du'a. <coughs> Ibrahim salam in his, in as much knowledge as he has as a messenger, made the best dua he possibly could as a human being. But Allah Azza wa Jal in his wisdom knew even better that the future generations that are coming, when the ayat, they, when they hear the ayat, before they are ready to learn, they will need to be what? They'll need to be cleansed. They will need to be cleansed. Ibrahim alayhi salam has what experience with children? What kind of children does he have immediately? Prophets, great kids. So even though tazkiyah, purification is on his mind, where is it in the list of things? It's at the end. By the time this last prophet rolls around, what do you think? Tazkiyah is going to be a bigger item on the agenda or no? This purification? Allah knew what is coming in the future. What kind of people the Messenger of Allah will have to deal with and what they will need first before they, go, they move on. So Allah Azza wa says, يَتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابُ وَالْحِكْمَةِ May we learn the, 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 the uh, you know, Allah perfecting the kalam of Ibrahim salam and taking it to what a human being cannot take it to, as incredible as his dua was. Then on top of that, you find that Allah reminds us, even in those other ayat, that, the, that it is a fulfillment of Ibrahim's dua. It is in fact a fulfillment of Ibrahim's dua. Not just because the language is similar, because Allah takes other aspects, other wordings of Ibrahim salam's dua, and He puts it back in those same ayat. Because he add, he said, "Rabbana wabath fihim rasulan minhum." Rabbana wabath fihim rasulan minhum. Appoint a messenger from among them. Then he made the du'a. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "Laqad manna Allahu ala al-mu'minin idh ba'atha fihim rasulan min anfusihim." Did you repeat Ibrahim Alayhisam's words? He appointed a messenger from among themselves, their own selves. Huwa aladhi ba'atha fi al-ummiyina rasulan minhum. He is the one who appointed among the unlettered a messenger among themselves. He repeated, he repeated the words. He repeated the words that Ibrahim had uttered. Just to make us clear that this is a fulfillment. The messenger coming and doing these four things is a fulfillment of the mission, or, or actually the dua of Ibrahim From it we learn the power of dua. One of the things Mufassirun talk about that, that baffles them is can, one can never appreciate the power of dua because it is a dua, it is a fulfillment of a dua that brings down the final revelation and the final messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The messenger of Allah is the result of a dua of Ibrahim alayhi Can you imagine the power of dua? Right? Well, if you think about it in, in that sense, you know, you can say, I want, ask, I want to ask Allah for a lot of things, but what I'm asking for might be too big. Well, I don't know if it can be any bigger than the revelation of Quran and the sending of Allah's final messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That happens as a result of sincere dua. Then also in ta'thir of dua. When are they making this dua? They were making this dua when they were building Allah's house. As they were building Allah's house, they were making this dua. So when we are doing things to build Allah's deen, to build Allah's deen, and I use the, the verb on purpose. You know the Messenger of Allah وسلم, when he talked about the deen, one of the most famous hadith in Islam, that probably all of you know, at least the first parts of it, بُنِيَ الْإِسْلَامُ عَلَىٰ خَمْسٍ 
Buni al-Islamu ala khamsin. What does that mean? Anyone know? Islam is built upon five things. Buniya in Arabic from binaya to construct. Even in that hadith, there is imagery of construction. Islam is built on five things. And by saying that, what Allah's Messenger is saying وسلم, is that it, the five things are the foundation, then you build on top of that. The five things are not Islam. Islam is built on them. It's built on them. So like the house of Allah is part of building the deen, there are all different kinds of projects, all different kinds of works that are part of helping Allah's deen, that are part of making Allah's, the light of Allah's deen complete. And in all of them, when we're making those projects, when we're making, doing things for the sake of Allah, those are awesome times to be making dua. Those are great times to be asking Allah Azza wa this ayah is extremely deep, so I'll take a couple more minutes inshallah ta'ala and mention just a few more things about this beautiful, beautiful utterance. In this ayah, there is a, there is a, um, a piecemeal or a bit by bit by bit depiction of a methodology. The methodology of the work of a messenger. And so every time a person wants to do the work of the messengers, والسلام, then they should understand this methodology. What is it that is required of people? What is the great you know, the, the, the practice by which the Messenger achieved his success وسلم, which Allah calls a favor on the believers. Yatlu alayhim ayatihi is mentioned number one. He reads onto the people the ayat. So as a community within ourselves and even outside of ourselves, one of our first projects is what? Is reading Qur'an. Reading Qur'an not just to yourself but to others. Not just reciting it and memorizing it and reciting it properly with tajweed, that's there too. But yet alayhim ayatihi also implies that we educate people about what the book says. He educates people about what the book says. And Allah said about those people, al-ummiyin, they're unlettered. They're, they're, they don't know. And nowadays most people are lettered in many things, but they're not lettered in what? In Allah's book. We're ummi in a new sense. We're, we're, we're ummiyin in a new sense. That, that's, you know, nowadays people know, I say this all the time, right? We, people know like, not even human languages. They can, they can read like eight pages of code and know where to put a semicolon in C++ or whatever developer language they know. They, they don't even know human languages. They can process that. But when it comes to Quran, <laughs> they don't know. Yatlu alayhim ayati. This is a project. Umar bin al-Khattab in his rule, one of the first projects he took over was he would make sure every few circle of Sahaba have their own halaqah of Qur'an. They're studying Qur'an together. That was one of his projects. So this is something we have to do. Yatlu alayhim ayatihi. And then if you look at, inshallah, the benefits of that sequence when we get to those ayat, but at least for now in this sequence, we use him tazkiyah as a project. Actually, tazkiyah is at the end here. يُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ He teaches them the book. The book implies the Qur'an. But it's beyond just reading it. Reading it is like I'm doing right now. I'm not teaching, I'm reading it. But teaching it means you gotta sit down in a class, you gotta, you know, apply effort, and you gotta learn, and you gotta be tested, and you have to kind of have somebody looking over you. You have to put, you, we have to be in the process of learning, proper learning. إِنَّمَا الْعِلْمُ بِالتَّعَلُّمْ The Messenger says sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. إِنَّمَا الْعِلْمُ بِالتَّعَلُّمْ means knowledge only comes with serious effort in trying to acquire knowledge. In other words, but just sitting there, you know, sitting back and playing, hitting play on a YouTube video, that's not an acquisition of knowledge. There's no ta'allum there. There's mushahada. You watched it. Or you heard it in the car. You, that's great. That's still in the yatlu alayhim ayati. He's reading it on to them. That doesn't mean they learned it yet. Learning is a separate process. Which means not only do we have to have these da'wah kinds of affairs, we also have to have what? 
educational types of affairs. We have to have an educational setting in which we're properly learning the book. Wal-hikmata. And, and here, al-kitaba wal-hikmah, you know, there are different opinions of the ulama. We should know that they're not qat'i. Like, for example, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i's opinion, Imam Malik more famously said that al-kitab is the Qur'an, al-hikmah is the sunnah of the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa Those opinions are awesome, but we shouldn't consider them qat'i. In other words, it's not absolute evidence on the Qur'an that kitab means book and hikmah means sunnah. Right? Other ulama said, no, actually, all four of these things is referring to the Qur'an. The kitab is clearly the Qur'an. The, the ayat are clearly the Qur'an. Wisdom, Allah calls it, you know, وَالْقُرْآنِ الْحَكِيمِ The Qur'an full of wisdom. And He purifies them. Purifies them with what? So they said this last why is why, you know, عَطَفْ bayan As a result of doing these things, He's purifying people. As a result of this process, they're being purified, they're being cleansed. That they are listening to the ayat, they're listening to the reminder, they're, they're learning it, and they're acquiring wisdom over time. And in that process, they are becoming people that are purified. Certainly, you're the ultimate authority, the all-wise. What an amazing project laid out for a community. At the level of children, at the level of women, at the level of men, college students, high school students, summer programs, Sunday programs. All these projects that we're doing, they should be inspired by a vision to emulate, to do something from that, lay, that layout, that blueprint that was laid down by Allah's Messenger through the revelation that Allah gave him. These beautiful words. And this, was, this is so, it, it works so well that Ibrahim thought of it and then Allah perfected it on top of that. So it works. It's not like a failing plan. It's not just theory. If you apply it, you will find the, the final result. The final result in Ibrahim concern was tazkiyah, was cleansing. Because he knew the only people that Allah would punish are people that are not cleansed, the people that are not clean. So he looked at that as the ultimate goal, and in one sense that is an ultimate goal. That is a final goal that we should aspire towards. May Allah Azza wa make us people who are able to benefit from the dua of Ibrahim salam and are able to implement these things in our personal lives, and even as our lives, uh, in, in our lives as a community. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim, wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi min shaytan rajim وَمَنْ يَرْغَبُ عَنْ مِلَّةِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ إِلَّا مَنْ سَفِهَ نَفْسَهُ وَلَقَدْ اصْطَفَيْنَاهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَإِنَّهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ لَمِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ إِذْ قَالَ لَهُ رَبُّهُ أَسْلِمْ قَالَ أَسْلَمْتُ لِرَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ رَبِّ اشْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَأَسِرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَحْلُ الْعُقْتَةً مِنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي Alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Thumma ma ba'd. We're continuing our discussions on Surah Al-Baqarah. We've reached ayah number 130. This ayah appears right, right after the ayah in which Allah mentions his fulfillment of the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam, where he sent his final messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Even though Ibrahim alayhi salam was not explicitly mentioned in the previous ayah, we all know that the dua was made previously already. And or this, is, this was actually the dua. So now Allah says, this is the legacy of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And, in, in, and he makes a really emphatic call for us to be committed to that legacy. And he says, Ibrahim, Who would turn away from the legacy of Ibrahim alayhi salam? Who would incline away from it? The Arabic word raghiba comes with two prepositions. It can come with raghiba ila or raghiba an. When you're inclined to something, would you really like to do something? Then it comes with ila, the preposition ila, to be inclined to it. 
Raghiba an, the preposition an implies when you're disgusted by something, you want to get away from something, you're turned away from it. So here the, the an implies what kind of person would turn away from the millah. Millah implies nation but also means legacy. So the legacy of Ibrahim alayhi salam, illa man safiha nafsahu. Except for the one who's fooling himself. Except for the person who's fooling himself. Now it's interesting, this is the second time foolishness is being mentioned in this surah. And it's going to come a third time too. The first time we came into contact with this term was when the hypocrites were talking about the believers who have made hijrah from Mecca. And they've left everything behind. And they were called fools. And now the one who doesn't abide by the legacy of Ibrahim salam, Allah is calling him a fool. And interestingly, there is a parallel between these two things because Ibrahim salam, if you study his legacy, you find something very interesting and very, very peculiar. Ibrahim salam, uh, is, you know, they call him the father of the three religions and that's, this kind of interfaith terminology is used. All three religions, you know, Islam, Christianity and Judaism have high regard for Ibrahim salam. But in agnostic circles and in circles that basically make fun of religion, one of the most entertaining points for them is the life of Abraham. Like that's the point of ridicule in their circles. And I'm glad that you don't know much about those circles, but I happen to. And the reason they make fun of them is they say, what kind of God makes a man, you know, try to sacrifice his own kid? And what kind of God makes a man jump into the fire? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they look at all the things that Ibrahim salam did that when we look at them, we say, that's incredible. We take, you know, we, we, uh, are, we admire the commitment of Ibrahim salam, how he submitted before Allah. Those are the very things the outsider looks at and says, what kind of foolishness is this? What kind of religion would make a person do that? You really want to follow that kind of religion? And now Allah is giving us our attitude, our, our wire, the wiring of our attitude. He says, who would turn away from this legacy except an idiot? You're calling this stupid? No, 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 actually. Who would turn away from this legacy? Except the one who's fooling himself. Truly fooling himself. SubhanAllah. How the, the way we think is, is, is you know, changed. And you know, the other thing, uh, I've had my share of conversations with like, agnosts and so-called atheists and things, positive and negative atheists, they call them positive atheists are um, agnosts, or are actually actual atheists, negative atheists are, I'm not sure if I'm atheist either, maybe there's a God, maybe there isn't a God, the other word for that is agnost, right? So in my conversation with them, they say about Ibrahim said they say, well, he was commanded to slaughter his kid, so what, are you guys going to do that too? Because he did it, and you want to be like him. And that's, you know, an average Muslim, if they don't know how they make these kinds of arguments to try to catch you, you might not see what they're trying to do. Look, when, when Allah gives instructions directly to a messenger والسلام, whoever he may have been, those are particular instructions for him. And unless that messenger leaves you with instructions to do the same, or in his lifetime he makes sure that you imitated what he was doing, then those instructions don't apply to you. They're for him specifically. They're for him especially. So in the case of our messenger وسلم, there are instructions that are very particular to him. And then in the Qur'an also, there are instructions that are very particular to him. And then there are instructions that apply to everybody else. For example, Qiyamul Layl, the standing in the middle of the night, which is an option for us, was made mandatory upon the Prophet The ayat of Ahkam came on the Messenger in Surah Muzammil, Surah Al-Mudathir. You find those ayat in which he had to make Qiyam. But that, he made it an option upon us. And at the end of the surah, Allah even you know, relaxed the obligation upon us, but not on his Messenger Wasallam. So the same thing is the case with Ibrahim He's being tested with something 
the rest of us aren't being tested with. It's something special that Ibrahim Ibrahim was given. Anyhow, إِلَّا مَنْ سَفِيَ نَفْسَهُ Except for the one who's fooling himself. وَلَقَدْ إِصْطَفَيْنَاهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا And we, Allah says Himself, we had already, and for sure it is we who had chosen Him, we had chosen Him. And the, the word istifa is also important here because there are several words in Arabic used for making a choice. In the Qur'an we find ijtiba, we find ikhtiyar, we find istifa, we find different words for making a choice. The word istifa specifically highlights when a choice is made based on two things. One, purity. One, it's made on, based on purity. In other words, when you, when you have a bunch of options in front of you and you, you choose the purest of those options, the thing that has the purest ingredients, that would be called istifa, because it comes from safu, which in itself means purity. But the other implication of istifa linguistically is also very powerful. And that is when a choice is made that is entirely your own and has no external influences. Meaning it's a choice in which you didn't take suggestions from anyone, you didn't consider anything, except the, the only reason you picked it is because it's your choice. I know I've talked about this in other durus when I've given, I've given darshan on Surah Al-Hajj. But just to make that point clear to you, if you go to the, the store over here, the bookstore, they sell candy too, right? So you see a bunch of candies there and you pick up like a Twix. And your wife says, why didn't you get the M&M? Or the Snickers, or the this or the that. You like, why'd you get Twix? Well, what's your reason? I like it, that's it. It's my choice. That's it. There's no other factor involved that would be istifa. That would be istifa, right? If you get the M&M because you figure it's the most for my money, I can share it, give it to the kid, it'll last longer, etc. Now there's ijtiba involved, there's other factors that you, you tried to reason and you made a decision based on some other qualifications. But istifa is a choice purely your own. Now the word is important because this surah, and as it's, it's, it's going to come also, uh, the, the qibla will be changed by Allah Azza wa Jal. Whose decision is that? It's purely His. And Bani Israel is listening right now and they believe in the choosing of Ibrahim and they acknowledge that that choice was made purely by Allah Azza wa Jal. But they're ha- having a hard time except that the final messenger was also chosen purely by Allah. So the word, the, the, the word of pure choice referring to Allah is highlighting a point about how messengers are chosen. You can't come up with a formula and say, ah, that's why he was chosen. No, no, no. It's Allah's purely His choice. The only two things we know is He chooses the purest, purest option and second, purely it's his choice. You can't involve your logic and reasoning into it. You can't apply any of that into it. And this we find in two other places, or other places in Qur'an. For example, the Quraysh raised the criticism, how come no celebrity from the town? You know, رَجُلٍ مِنَ الْقَرْيَةَيْنِ عَظِيمٍ How come this Qur'an didn't come on one of the two great celebrities, or celebrities from, a, from two of the great towns? You know, the bigger families and the higher ups, if it came on them and they became a messenger, well, they're already millionaires, so we're ready to listen to them anyway. It would be easier. Why would we listen to this guy who's an orphan? And he's not really that high up in the ranks, politically speaking and economically speaking. So why should we listen to him? I mean, there were so many better choices available. That criticism they made. But Israel made the criticism, well, how come this messenger? What, there was a shortage among us? We're the chosen people. And how come Jibreel, we don't really like him that much. Remember that conversation before? So the word istifa here highlights, going back to the common point, and that's important too, that Ibrahim salam is the common thread between Bani Israel and Bani Ismail. He's the common link between them. And so when he builds the house of Allah, which is going to come, when he builds that house, and he was making that dua as he was building the foundations of the house, Bani Israel is being told, well that house is also part of your legacy. It's not like you're abandoning your legacy to come to this one. Al-Masjid al-Aqsa is part of your legacy, yes. But even before Al-Masjid al-Aqsa, this is part of your legacy because this was built by 
Ibrahim alayhi salam. You know, it's, 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 it, it was the house of worship established by the one that even goes further back in your own lineage. So anyhow, and certainly in the afterlife he is among the righteous. He will be among the righteous. May Allah make this from them, make, make us all from them. And here again a clue. You better become of the righteous if you want to consider yourself part of the legacy of Ibrahim Because they claim that. Both Jews and Christians claim that they are a part of the legacy of Ibrahim And Allah says, well, you want to be with him in the akhirah. The only people he'll stand with are the righteous. If qala lahu rabbuhu aslim. And so Allah is dropping a clue about Islam itself. Whenever his master said to him, submit, be Muslim is aslim. Actually, after Islam, the verb itself became the meaning of he became a Muslim. So when you say about somebody, aslama, you know, aslama means he became Muslim. It doesn't even mean he submitted anymore. It just means he became Muslim. And that's how it's even used in a hadith of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa Anyhow, whenever Allah says to him, submit, qala aslamtu rabbil alameen. He says, and there's no... There's no harf atf here. Like, if qala lahu rabbuhu aslim fa thumma. There's, there's no atf here. Qala aslam tu rabbil alameen. He said, I give myself up. I've submitted myself before the Lord, before the master of the world. Now, there's something subtle and beautiful about this language. So I'll stop here before, because the next ayah is pretty deep also. But just share some highlights with you. The first thing is, he said, aslam tu. He used the past tense. He doesn't say, uslimu. I submit, meaning I submit in, in, in Arabic, the present tense has the implication of meaning the present and the future. That might imply procrastination. I, I, I'll submit, yes. There may be lag. Aslamtu, there's no lag. It's immediate because it's already happened. It's as good as already done. So you know how when you have a really eager employee and you say to them, make sure you send that email. And they say, even before they do it, they're right about it. They say, done. Done. Like, you know, it's, it's finished. It's this immediate response by Ibrahim And he acknowledges when he submits, he acknowledges his reasons for submitting too. He could have, he could have said, But he makes sure he reminds himself. And through that reminder, he's reminding us, To the master. I submit myself to the master. He's reminding himself of his slavery and Allah's mastery. The master of Al-Alameen, all nations and all peoples. And even in the word Al-Alameen, there's something beautiful. Because inside Al-Alameen is all nations. And Ibrahim salam, as far as the context of Arabia is concerned, the different nations, different, different religions that are in Arabia, they somehow all trace themselves back to Ibrahim salam. So they may look like different nations at that time. There's Christians, there's Jews, there's the Mushrikun. But actually all three of them somehow trace themselves back to Ibrahim salam, he says, Aslam to Rabbil Alameen. You know, he, he's calling, it, it's like there's a call being made in the, in the, in the, in the statement of Ibrahim salam, how Allah quotes it, to this unified origin, which is again the house of Allah Azza wa that was built. I'll, I'll at least mention the next ayah and I'll close, I won't explain it much. And Ibrahim salam left a legacy, left a will, you could even say, for his sons. As did Yaqub, and Yaqub did the same. How much time between Ibrahim and Yaqub? Who's in between? There's Ibrahim, then there's his son, Ishaq, and then there is Yaqub. So Allah is talking about the grandfather and the grandson. Now, if you look at the dua of Ibrahim, Allah said, Ibrahim said, وَمِن ذُرِّيَّتِنَا أُمَّةً مُسْلِمَةً From our children, at least give us some ummah. 
So in the next ayah, Allah is saying, actually, I've also fulfilled the dua, not only with Muhammad sallallahu but also in the next generation of Ibrahim Yaqub also fulfilled that legacy and traced himself back to exactly the words that his grandfather once said to his children. The grandson is saying those same words to his children. So it's something you're supposed to pass down to your children. And that would be part of the legacy of Ibrahim You know the previous ayah said, who would turn away from his legacy except a fool? Well, Yaqub held on to that legacy and one of the ways in which he held on to that legacy is giving his sons the same exact advice that his father once gave to his sons. Now what's that advice? Ya baniya inna Allah astafa My sons, my beloved sons, Allah, no doubt about it, it is He who has chosen this deen for you. Once again, istifa. I won't explain what that means again. He has chosen that deen for you. Now there's istifa alaykum and istifa lakum. When it's something is a burden on you, alaykum is used. When, someone is a, when something is a favor to you, lakum is used. This religion has been chosen for you, the deen has been chosen for you, as a favor to you, as a gift for you. It's amazing that these prepositions, how they're used in Quran. Like in Surah At-Tawbah, Allah says, Tell them nothing will afflict us except what Allah has written, not upon us, but for us. Not alayna. Alayna would mean we're going to come up, you know, the, the, this was the munafiqun talking about Muslims getting in trouble on the battlefield in Hunayn. Right? Muslims got in trouble in the battlefield in Hunayn. Allah told them to say, no, Allah, we, we, nothing will afflict us except what Allah has written for us, not against us, for us. Even in the toughest times, whatever we're going through, we know Allah has something good in it for us. What beautiful verbiage, you know? So now here we find. You know, Don't you dare die except that you're Muslims. Don't you dare die except that you're Muslims. Now, now listen to this. Who are the sons of Yaqub We know who the sons of Ibrahim are. Who are the sons of Yaqub Who does that include? Yusuf Includes Yusuf Now you tell me. He gave this advice to his sons. And this is, uh, by some scholars, this is towards the end of his life. Because he's leaving a will, so it implies this is towards the tail end of his life. We know that Yusuf had brothers who did some pretty messed up things. This did some pretty messed up things. It's not like they, like I give the example often, it's not like they, you know, they, they took the rear view mirror broken from the dad's car and brought it back and said, Dad, sorry, I took your car for a spin. And, you know, and he says, Sabrun Jameel. That's not what happened. They, they took a shirt. You know, riddled with false blood, and they took it to their father, and they did, they forgot to rip it up too. So it, you could tell that's that's not how animals eat. They don't take the shirt off and then eat, and then you know. So he knew they were lying about it too. So they did some pretty messed up stuff. The reason I'm bringing this up is that we're learning through this dua and this instruction. On the one hand, there's dua. Ibrahim alaihissalam already made dua, take care of my children. But that's not enough. He has to take his tell his kids to be, stay straight too. Don't you dare die except that you're Muslims. Remain in submission. He has to take care of both things. Dua alone is not enough. You have to do that. Your part too, then the dua has power. Then Allah gives barakah in that dua. The other thing here is, whose kids are these? We said Yaqub alayhi salam. Whose son is he? Who's Yaqub alayhi salam? The son of Ishaq alayhi salam. And he's the son of Ibrahim alayhi salam. So these guys, these brothers of Yusuf alayhi salam, illa bin Yameen, except for bin Yameen, these are sons of a prophet, grandsons of a prophet, great-grandsons of a prophet. And yet they still messed up pretty bad. You could say they come from a pretty good family. You could say that they come from a pretty decent family. 
You know, a lot of times nowadays when you try to give warnings about youth going astray, people say, no, 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 not my kids. We come from a good family. No, my kids, we have a, mashallah, our grandfather was a scholar and his father was a muhaddith and his scholar was the head of the tafsir department of our madrasa and, you know, our five generations of hafad, we're, we're solid. I mean, righteousness runs in our blood. It's genetic for us. You know, it doesn't, we don't have those problems. You must be talking about that guy's kids. My kids, no, we come from a good family. Our last name is Muhammad or Ahmad or Qurayshi or Chaudhry or something. Therefore, it is, our children are incapable of messing up. Let me guarantee you guys something. None of us come from a purer family <laughs> than the sons of Yaqub Nobody does here. Nobody has that kind of lineage. Sons of a prophet, grandsons of a prophet, great-grandsons of a prophet, and brothers with a prophet too. <laughs> right? I mean, they're just one after another. It, they're, they're coming from this pure lineage. But genetics aren't enough to keep you righteous. It doesn't run in the blood. It's not, it's not necessarily the case. You know, the mushrikun of Mecca are also children of Ibrahim salam. The followers of Musa salam are also the children of Yaqub salam. And the, lack, you know, the, the hypocrites among them are also followers of Yaqub salam. You know, there's no guarantees. So we can't take, like, we can't recline on our heritage and say that our children are going to be okay. That can't be the case. And the final quick reminder I want to give you through these ayat, this, 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 this parenting issue. How much Allah has emphasized worrying about the future generation in these ayat. It's a really interesting transition in Baqarah. And you're about to see more of it. On the one hand, there is you worrying about the future. And also not being a fool and not worry about the future. That's what, on the one hand, that's what we're learning. On the other hand, you know what we're going to start learning now? There are people who look at their past and they take pride in their past, even if their past was wrong. And they don't want to change their ways because they say our past is like this, that's our tradition, we're not going to budge. We take pride in who we are, right? So there's people who, there's two kinds of foolish behavior. There's one, you're not worried about your future, and two, you're reclining on your past. Whether it was good or not. Whether, and, and we'll see both those kinds of mistakes, you know, uh, outlined in these ayat. Did Yusuf salam? you have to ask yourself this final question. Was Yaqub salam a good parent? Absolutely. Actually, in the Qur'an, if you study Yaqub salam, you'll find, if you're looking for model parenting in the Qur'an, there are very few passages that talk about good fathers, and Yaqub salam somehow ends up in them. You know, you have Luqman and his advice to his son, but you have Yaqub salam several times talking about his children, especially in Surah Yusuf here in Baqarah. So he's a model parent. Of course he's a prophet, so he's a model in that sense too. And even worrying about his kids, Allah mentions him making dua. So he's clearly a model parent. But his son still messed up. What are we learning here? You can do your best with your children and you have to, you don't have a choice. You have to do your best with your children. But in the end, they will make the decisions that they will make once they become adults. And once they become adults and they make the dumb decisions that they might make, because they are adults, you yelling and screaming will not make things better and turn them righteous all of a sudden. At that point, you need to take Yaqub salam's advice and say what? فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ وَاللَّهُ mustahan. That's all he can do. I mean, I was expecting him to yell and scream when he brings, up, brings back the shirt, but he knows these guys are at an age where yelling at them and going crazy at them is not gonna work. That's, their, their ship is sailed. I did what I could with them. I did what I could with them. But, you know, the rest I have to leave to Allah. So he reminds them. He, reminds, he gives them warning. He reminds them of Allah. Allahul Musta'an, Alamat al 
And he gives them his example, I'm going to have sabr. But he, can do, he can't do much more. And that sabr and that dua, that sincere dua to Allah, years go by, but eventually those bad corrupt sons do make tawbah. They do come around. So those of you that are having trouble with your older kids, and you say, I've been making dua, nothing's happened. Right? Well, it takes a while. <laughs> it takes a while. You have to have a lot of sabr. Now these are, these are important lessons for parenting that Allah has embedded in these beautiful ayat. Inshallah we'll talk more about this next ayah, this ayah itself uh, uh, in our next gathering. Barakallahu li wa lakum fi al-Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Amkuntum shuhada, were you witness all of you in Habara Ya'qub al-Mawd when death presented itself to Ya'qub? When death came before Ya'qub? Now death is coming to Ya'qub alayhi State of emergency, whatever you, whatever affairs you gotta take care of, you take care of at that time. What's the thing that he takes care of? Is qala libanihi at that time is when he said to his children, his sons, he gathers his sons and he's giving them final words. He's about to depart from this world. What what advice does he give them? Ya baniya, inna Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Actually, ma ta'abuduna min ba'di. Ma what are you going to worship after I'm gone? What are you going to be enslaved to after I'm gone? Now, interestingly, the, the, the expected question is, Man Who will you be enslaved to? Who will you worship? But he says, Ma making it more of a quiz. Because Ma is, you know, Man already implies the answer in it. Ma doesn't. So he wants to like start from scratch as though he's taught them nothing. He wants to hear from them from, from scratch. It's not like, you know, oh dad, you know, come on, you already know this. No, 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 he's expecting to hear that satisfactory answer from his sons in full. So he asks as though he doesn't know, he doesn't expect them to know the answer. مَا تَعْبُدُونَ مِنْ Much after I'm gone. And that's the other thing is مِنْ See, بَعْدِ in Arabic means after, after me, meaning after I die. مِنْ means much after I die. When somebody dies, you'll find, especially with the Muslims, when somebody dies, immediately after, what do you find in the family? A lot of salah, a lot of dua, a lot of remembrance, immediately after. But what happens much after? Much after, it withers away. So he's not worried about immediately after. Immediately after, there's the janazah, there's the remembrance, there's the dua, there's this, you know, they'll remember what their father used to do and they're doing it. You know, and they know about the idea of their good deeds reaching their father also, so they understand that and they're doing it. But l- later on, it gets rusty. Those deeds become rusty. So now he's saying, Much after I'm gone, what are you going to do? What is it that you're going to be worshipping? And their response is beautiful. They say, We're going to be enslaved or uh, we're going to worship and willingly enslave ourselves to your ilah and the ilah of your father, you know, your fathers, Ibrahim, Ismail, Ishaq, you know, and all of them were one. It's just one ilah. There are different fathers, but they've all been enslaved to the one same ilah, ilahan wahidan. This message is being sent, not just, you know, these words are also da'wah, because the people that are listening are people of the book, who believe that they, you know, they believe in the Lord, of the, the God of Ibrahim salam, and he says, in the Hayat authority, his own children said, this is the God not only of Yaqub whose name is Israel, but it's also the God of Ibrahim, it's also the God of Ismail, and those are all your fathers. It's all one family. So this messenger has come within the family, he's still not outside the family. 
You know, the, the criticism of Bani Israel was he's outside the family. He's not from the family. But these ayat are making sure that they understand the ilah is one, and still the family is still one family. It's still one line from Ibrahim And all of us, نَحْنُ لَهُ مُسْلِمُونَ We are exclusively to him Muslim. Now interestingly, who's saying this? It is the sons of Ya'qub. What's the other name of Ya'qub? Israel. So the sons of Israel are saying that we're Muslims. Bani Israel literally are saying that they are Muslims. That's what they said to their own father. So when they are being called to Islam now, they are being called to what their legacy calls for, where it began. They called themselves the sons of Israel and the 12 tribes. Well, the 12 tribes started with their 12 fathers, and those 12 fathers declared themselves Muslims to Yaqub You follow what I'm saying? So it's, it's that lineage that's being talked about. Now on this note, I want to make an additional, just a point about our reality now. Muslims all over the world, all of us, uh, those of us that are Muslims for generations especially, maybe we come from the Arab world, the Africas, the you know, Southeast Asian subcontinent, some parts of Europe, Turkey, etc. We, many of us are Muslims for generations. And the world has changed significantly in the last few hundred years. I mean, even the, the, the amount of changes that have happened in the last 100 years usually take a millennium. From a sociological point of view, the kinds of changes that take place in a thousand years have happened now in a hundred years. And the kinds of changes that happened in a hundred years have happened in the last 10 years. The world has completely been changed, transformed, and society is changing very, very, very fast. And these changes, obviously, they have an effect on our society, Muslim society also. They affect us. They impact us. Now, well, you know, major things, we can talk about big things like, of course, recently, more recently, the advances in technology. But even, you know, geopolitically speaking, things like colonialism and Europe's, Europeans taking over much of the Arab world and the Africas and the Asian subcontinent and colonizing the Muslim land and leaving their mark and then leaving those lands, etc. right? Now, I'm bringing all of this up for a reason. I want to give you an appreciation of a reality we find ourselves in, Muslims find ourselves in, that's very embarrassing. You have Muslims whose upbringing is confused between Islam, that has been there for generations, it's confused between that Islam, and it's also confused between the influences that have come from other than Islam. And those influences also, they contradict our deen. They con some of those influences, they contradict Islam. Not everything on the outside, in the outside world contradicts our deen. Technology doesn't contradict our deen, it's the misuse of technology that contradicts our deen. You understand? You, you know, cars don't contradict our deen, it's the misuse of them. So, just because society has advanced, it doesn't mean it's become evil. It's the misuse of it. But our societies, unfortunately, in the Muslim world, we started looking up to our colonizers, or we generally we started looking up to the West. Muslim societies, the Eastern world, started looking up to the West. And you know what? There are, let's be honest, there are things that there are we should be looking up to here. There are values that are actually genuinely Islamic. The idea, at least, get relatively more transparency in government and you know checks and balances and things like that. Relatively, I use the word relatively fully aware. Okay, far more than the Muslim world has, you know consequences for corruption, things like that, at least 
much more, it's not completely out, and it's, it's a very corrupt society also, but far more than what the Muslim world enjoys. Even Muslim brothers, you know, I know that uh, they said, you know, I, don't, I can't live in America anymore, I'm going to make hijrah, I'm going to go to this country, I'm, I'm not going to knock on the countries, I won't tell you which countries they went to, but they went, they went there for a couple of years, couldn't take it, and they came back. Now why did they come back? Because the injustices that Muslims are doing to other Muslims, they couldn't take it. They couldn't handle it. But I want to come at it from one more angle here, specifically here. Socially, within our family, I won't even talk about politics, I'll just talk about families. In our families, for example, the way weddings are conducted, or the way we carry ourselves in our gatherings, right? It's, it mimics more non-Muslim culture than it does Muslim culture, the tradition of our ancestors. It mimics that a lot less. And so what happens in America, for, for instance, and even like places like Pakistan, India, even the Arab world, the youth, more and more, they're turning to Islam. More and more, some youth that were living a certain kind of lifestyle are turning to the deen, which is showing in their appearance, it's showing in the way they speak, it's showing in the way that they're not partying, they don't, they don't want to be part of those kinds of you know, uh, social settings that their parents have become accustomed to, that they're used to. And when these people change, and the, the girl starts wearing hijab, for example, the parents say, that's not how we do things in our family. The Muslim parents are yelling at the Muslim daughter saying, that's not how we do things in our family. Our family is, we're Muslim, but we're not, I used to say this all the time, right? we're Muslim, but we're not Muslim Muslim. <laughs> right? We're not like those lusted people, or we're not those extreme, you know, who's going to marry you looking like that? Take that beard off your face. Why are you going to the masjid, etc., etc. Like, that's not how our family is. Or what are you saying? We're not that Muslim for you? We're not Muslim enough for you? And it becomes like, you're, if you're trying to hold on to the deen and you're the only one in your family, or you're one or two, you're the weirdos and you're the embarrassment to the family, they can't even sit in the car with you, and all kinds of stuff. Which is pretty peculiar, because if you find an old picture of the great-grandfather and the great-grandmother in that same family, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find great-grandpa with a big old beard, and you can't even see grandma because her face is covered. You know, that's, their, that's the culture. So there are things in your past that you should be proud of, and there are things in your past that you should say, just like Allah calls it out, your ancestors didn't know what they were doing either. Unfortunately, ignorance has entered Muslim culture in the last two or three generations. It has entered. And now we're holding on to that ignorance. If we're going to hold on to something, we have to go three, four generations further back. That's what we have to do. You know? And it's kind of, like, I could speak on behalf of, for example, where I come from, in the Indo-Pak subcontinent, right? People say we want to hold on to our traditions. Now Muslim weddings look a lot more like Hindu weddings. Muslim weddings, literally, down to the music and the way the bride dresses and everything, looks a lot more like Hindu weddings. It's a tragedy. You want to be like your ancestors before Islam came to them? <laughs> right? The days of Jahangir, that's what you want to be like? That's the, that's the legacy you want to hold on to? Or the legacy of Ibrahim that we were gifted? Uh, you know, a similar argument, and this is the last one I'll make about this, this idea of taking pride in what our real legacy is. We don't even have to go back, go back all the way to the times of the Sahaba and the times of the Prophet ﷺ. Well, that's way back. 
I'm saying even a couple of generations back, the Muslims were something, if you look at our history, was something to take pride in. Look at the, just to give you an example, look at the Muslims in Algeria, right? The way they, they, they resisted the French. You know, the average age of Muslims in Algeria is very young. You know why? All the elders died fighting the French. And if, if, you, if you meet any elders from Algeria who were living at the time when they were fighting the French, they'll tell you all night that they used to make Qiyam al-Layl. And they used to beg Allah to free them from the, you know, the, the occupation of these kuffar so they can worship Allah alone. And they would like, this, this was a strong Muslim community. And only in two generations, I'd even say one generation, you know what's happened now? Go to Algeria, my father used to spend some time there, he lived here for five, six years. Go to the average Algerian youth, and you tell him, so uh, what's your biggest dream in life? You know what it is? Move to France. Own your French citizenship. And if you, you don't find the matajid are barely filled with you. You have one or two older people there, subhanAllah. Those people spend, spill their blood so that their children could one day say, La ilaha illallah. That, that's all they spill their blood for. You know, and this is not just the story of Algeria, this is the story of much of the Muslim world that fought colonization for one reason and one reason alone. They fought it for La ilaha illallah. If you, you know, we're very fortunate if we find people that are older that were living at that time, that can tell you stories of that time, how the Muslims were, and how they, were, they recognized the threat that was overtaking them, and they saw it as a threat to their La ilaha illallah. You know, in India, you know, Muslims were being slaughtered like animals, literally like animals. You know, and, and two generations later, subhanAllah, a wedding's taking place in a Muslim country, and the same exact wedding's taking place in a Christian country, and you can't even tell the difference. You know, and weddings are just one manifestation. It's just how we live our lives, where we spend our money, what's our biggest dream, what are our aspirations, what our life, what, what our outlook on life is. It completely changed. Now the outlook on life, what you want to do with your life, for a Muslim, almost no different than a Hindu. No different than a Christian. That's a tragedy. We forgot what our life is supposed to be about because we forgot what our tradition is. So there's two things. That's the, it's the, the, the right, the truthfulness of the deen in our time, but there's also the allegiance to this. We're not, we're not alone in this. We're not new in this. We're part of a very honorable, noble legacy. You know, um, one famous writer would say things like, you know, you should imagine yourself when you hear these ayat, you should imagine yourself on a train and you're on this one cart and is joined to other carts. And on those other carts are people like the Messenger of Allah, the Sahaba the previous Ibrahim You're on the same train. You're on the same exact journey. You should take pride in that. And so, one of the things that we have to do as Muslims to hold on to our deen in tough times, is we have to go back to those times and take pride in it. Take pride, you have, we have to take pride in it. Just like these sons, they confidently said, we're going to be enslaved to your ilah and the ilah of our fathers. Ibrahim, Muslimun. And we are the ones that are exclusively to him, Muslims. But then look at the next ayah. This ayah was about, you know, hold on to your legacy. But then there's the wrong kind of holding on to your legacy. And that's what I'll end with. You know what the wrong kind of holding on to your legacy is? You keep talking about how great the people in the past were, but you don't do anything yourself. 
You do nothing to be like them. You just reminisce about how awesome they were. So people love hearing the stories of the prophets and the stories of the Sahaba and things like that. And they get inspired by that. But does that translate into any change? No. You're supposed to learn from those stories so you commit yourself to them. Not just listen to them for entertainment purposes. Or just enjoy those stories as this thing to take pride in how awesome we used to be. How many times we hear about Muslims and how great they were. And we just want to live in that past world and not deal with what we have right now. And not translate that into some, some concrete action now. So look at the next ayah. Allah That nation is already gone. They've already passed. They did what they had to do. For that entire ummah, that entire nation, it got what it earned. It already got what it earned. In other words, they did their work. They earned their keep and now they, they're enjoying it. It, it's gonna, it got what it earned. You're going to get, and for you, is only what you're going to earn. Just tying yourself back to that legacy and not changing your behavior is not enough. That's not going to save you. You have to earn it. This, these words were first to Bani Israel. Why? Because they tied themselves to that legacy, but there was no action. They would take pride in Ibrahim السلام, They would mention Ishaq السلام, They would mention Yaqub They took a lot of pride in being from Bani Israel. They were very proud of it, but not holding on to that legacy practically. Not doing what those prophets did. Not living like how those prophets lived. And their true, the true Sahaba of their times lived. So now Allah is making it clear. Those people, they got what they earned. You're going to get what you earned. You're not going to be interrogated about what they used to do. In other words, we should know what they used to do. But in between the lines, you know what Allah is telling us? You will be interrogated about what? About what you've been doing. Okay, great, you know everything that they did. What did you do? And so the last thing we want to share here is something very scary. Now that we know what they did, because in these ayat, we know what the prophets did. We know what their concerns were. We know what their priorities were. Now that we know that, Allah is saying, by the way, I won't be asking you what they did. Now that you know what they did, it is an obligation on you to earn what you're going to earn. You will be interrogated about what you're going to do with this knowledge. The Muslims should not become like Bani Israel, that enjoy the title of the chosen nation, and then say, ah, we can relax. Alhamdulillah, our Prophet is the final messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah gave us the final book. He told us, we're the best ummah. Oh my God, we're so awesome. And look at those Bani Israel, they're such losers. Look at what Allah said about them. And in, instead of t- sitting back and relaxing and becoming just the people of pride and in, in, you know, in, in, in using Islam as a means of becoming lax, our Islam should be a means of action. So we take pride in our deen, but at the same time we take responsibility. It's a privilege and a responsibility. It's a big problem when we concern ourselves with the privilege and we forget about the responsibility. And it's also a problem when we only present the responsibility and we don't expose to our youth especially that it is a privilege, that it is an honor to be Muslims. That Allah has gifted us with something that many of this world have not been gifted with. It's a gift that all of us enjoy. It's not just something cheap that's given, you know. 
I mean, I mean think, uh, I know that was the last comment. I'll shut 820 sharp off stop in one and a half minutes. I'll tell you this. You know, our Islam, the people that are sitting here, didn't come to us cheap. The efforts of Allah's Messenger are not cheap. The efforts of his Sahaba are not cheap. The efforts of those Sahaba to transmit this deen to Tabi'in is not cheap. And then the efforts even a couple of generations ago, 50, 60 years ago, of Muslims all over the world willing to sacrifice their life to hold on to Islam is not cheap. Those efforts are not cheap. And then there's Islam coming to us, it comes to us through a lot of people's sacrifice. It hasn't come to us just through a website. Those websites have a source and that source has a source. And in those sources there's a lot of sweat and a lot of blood and a lot of tears. We shouldn't think that this Islam is just something to be taken for granted. We shouldn't think like that. It should be something treasured and honored. Something precious that we should, we should keep. And so that's one of the things that we have to take from these ayat. That it, you know, don't let it go, it's a treasure. Don't let it go. And that, that's the kind of thing we have to give to our children. At your deathbed, instead of talking about, you know, you take the house and you take the business and you make sure this, this tax paper is filed and you do this or that or the other and make sure you don't talk to your uncle, I still hate him or whatever. <laughs> right? Instead of doing that at your deathbed, we have to learn to ask the Yaqub question. What are we leaving behind? What kind of kids are we leaving behind? You know? I, I'd be scared to ask, you know, most, of, most Muslims here, we would be scared to ask that same question to our children, even though death is not presenting itself to us. If we just ask, much after I'm gone, what are you going to be worshipping? How many times have we even had that, had that conversation with our kids? SubhanAllah. May Allah make us committed to the legacy of these great prophets, and make us Muslims as per the dua of Ibrahim. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim, wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil ayati. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وقالوا كونوا هودا أو نصارى تهتدوا قل بل ملة إبراهيم حنيفا وما كان من المشركين قولوا آمنا بالله وما أنزل إلينا وما أنزل إلى إبراهيم وإسماعيل وإسحاق ويعقوب والأسباط وما أوتي موسى وعيسى وما أوتي النبيون من ربهم لا نفرق بين أحد منهم ونحن له مسلمون فإن آمنوا بمثل ما آمنتم به فقد اهتدوا وإن تولوا فإنما هم في شقاق فسيكفيكهم الله وهو السميع العليم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين we're at ayah number 135 of Surah Al-Baqarah. The preceding discussion, Allah Azza wa Jal reminded us of the legacy of Ibrahim salam and Yaqub salam, And now he turns to those who claim to have an allegiance with him. And one of the things they say to Muslims, and one of the claims that they make, this is referring to the, both the Jews and the Christians at the time of the Prophet tahtadu, And they said, be Jews or Christians and you're, you'll be considered guided. And tahtadu means that would mean that you are committed to guidance. 
But you have to be at least one of these two. What's interesting is in their, each of their own theologies, they believe the other is damned to hell. They, they, they actually don't like each other. But when it came into their animosity against Muslims, then they would actually unify forces and say, you know what, we're willing to work with these two. This would still be considered somewhat guidance. This third one, forget it. Out of the picture. Not, not, not to be considered at all. قُلْ بَلْ مِلَّةَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ حَنِيفًا And Allah tells them to say, no, no, rather... You should be saying, if you want to say, be this or be that, then kunu millata Ibrahim. Then be the, be the nation of Ibrahim, the legacy of Ibrahim alayhi salam. The word milla, actually a very interesting word, is different from ummah. We talked about ummah before, but the word milla is a, a term that actually has affinity. Affinity, love and affection. So if you really show affinity and love and affection to Ibrahim alayhi salam, then you should be part of his legacy, hanifan. And this hanifan can go both ways. It could be a description of Ibrahim alayhi salam, or it could be hal of millah, meaning be a nation that is completely focused on one thing. And at the same time, it's kind of an, an example of wordplay where even Ibrahim alayhi salam, one of his adjectives is that he was hanif, that he was completely and solely focused. Hanif and, and hanafiyah is actually when, you are, when, you, when you're not distracted by anything else. You have one thing in front of you and you're completely devoted and dedicated to that one thing. And Ibrahim salam is called Hanif because he had no distraction except pleasing Allah Azza wa Jal, submitting before Allah Azza wa Jal. Nothing else came in his way. No, the biggest things that would, you would think would turn you away from submitting to Allah didn't get in his way in submitting to Allah. So he's saying if you really want to be considered those who are guided, committed to guidance, then no, the, the call would be to be like Ibrahim alayhi salam. Then the question then is, why is Allah telling the Messenger sallallahu alayhi salam to call on Ibrahim alayhi salam? Why not just himself? The first thing is, he says, قُلْ You should be telling them to commit to the legacy of Ibrahim alayhi salam. But did they know about Ibrahim alayhi salam already, both of these groups? They did. They both knew about it. But now it's like they're being told, actually, you need to learn about what Ibrahim alayhi salam is really like at the hands of this man, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And they're being called to something not new by calling on Ibrahim alayhi salam. They're being called to something that they've already agreed to. That they look at Ibrahim alayhi salam as a role model. It's not something new. But millata Ibrahim hanifan. Wama kana min al-mushrikeen. And he wasn't from the people who did shirk at all. There's a very important concept in the Quran. Ma kana min al-mushrikeen. Ma in Arabic, as the Arabic students here know, is actually different from lam. Or la in Arabic, or laysa in Arabic. It's a unique kind of saying no. It's actually when you say no in response to somebody. Like somebody says something wrong, and you respond by saying, you know, somebody says, kana huna, he was here. You say, no, he wasn't, he wasn't here. When you're correcting them, you say, ma kana huna. The, the, the correct response then is not, lam yakun huna. That's not the correct response. Actually, the correct response is, ma kana huna, he wasn't here at all. No, no, you're wrong. So it's when you're correcting someone and saying no, classically, that's when ma is used. So when Allah says, ma kana min al-mushrikeen, this is actually important because it affirms the idea that some people thought that he had been a mushrik, that he had done some shirk. By Allah saying, ma kana min al-mushrikeen, what Allah is saying is, he had never, ever, ever done shirk at all. That's the other thing. Ma is you know, aqwa, min aqwa uslub, uh, an-nafi. You know, it's from the strongest forms of negation. So Allah is saying, first of all, you're wrong, he never did shirk, he didn't do shirk, and he didn't do shirk at all. But then the question arises, well, isn't there passages in the Qur'an too, where he looked at the sun and said, هَذَا رَبِّي هَذَا أَكْبَرُ 
You know, and then when the sun went down, he said, "Okay, la uhibul, you know, asafilin and things like that." There's this whole mukalama, there's muhadatha, this whole conversation where he's going and discovering all of these different questions, and finally he comes to tawhid. There's a passage about that in the Quran. So how do we reconcile that and this? Well, actually, it's very simple. You know, the things that the things he said, alayhi salam, when he pointed at the sun, when he pointed at the moon, when he pointed at different things, and he made these declarations. Do you think somebody has to actually say them out loud? Or you can just think about that and move on. When somebody's actually thinking about the, you know, this must be my son because it's bright and it's so huge and it's so brilliant. Oh wait, it went down. Does he have to wait till sunrise, sundown to say, oh okay, I just realized it goes down. Or did he already know it's gonna go down? He did already, right? Everything, every comment he made about the sun and the moon is not like he discovered that day that it goes down. The reason I'm bringing this to your attention is when we talk about Ibrahim salam, we're talking about one of the most intelligent people in history. Salam. He's a very, very intelligent human being. I mean, the way he, he's very sharp with his even responses. Even if you look at his conversation that's coming in, in this surah, in Baqarah with Namrud. And when he, you know, he said, I'm the one who gives life and death. Right? And Ibrahim started by saying, Rabbi Alladhi Yuhi wa Yumit. He said, No, no, me, I do that. So he responded immediately, by the way, with the sun. Immediate response. He didn't have to think about it. Very sharp. But this is not, it doesn't seem like this is very intelligent speech. Bear with me, I'll make my point in a second. That you would look at the sun and say, That's pretty good. I think I'll worship that. And by the evening you say, Oh, I just realized it goes down. What he was doing in that passage, he was illustrating the stupidity of those who actually believe that. This is a means of demonstration. And this is something you find in his uslub. He demonstrates the stupidity of shirk all the time. This is part of the style of Ibrahim salam. Did he do this somewhere else also? Did he do something similar before too? Or, or after this also? He breaks all the idols, leaves the axe, and what does he say when they come after him and say, Ya Ibrahim, anta fa'alta hada? You? You did this? What does he say? Well, ask the big guy over there. We can worship him, so ask him. Right? Because So he, he and he, this is a means of him making them realize how ridiculous their beliefs are. And he does that even with his, you know, with his apparent, you know, uh, uh, presentation of a journey to Tawheed. So he's literally holding some people who have fallen into shirk that aren't, they haven't ever thought about it by the finger and showing them how ridiculous it is. He himself never committed shirk. Even when he says, Hada Rabbi, this is a really interesting thing. That in Arabic, actually, you, uh, uh, the shams is considered feminine. It's considered feminine. But he says, Hada Rabbi. Hada Akbar. He, he didn't use Hadihi. He used Hada. And this is actually even to illustrate that he wasn't really talking about the sun. He wasn't really saying that either. Because that's not really how you say that in Arabic. That's not how you say it in Arabic. So, a very a subtle uh, clues in the legacy of Ibrahim Anyhow, Allah says, مَا كَانَ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ He was never ever one to do shirk at all. قُولُوا You should all say, and this is also very beautiful and very powerful. You know, this uh, an ayah almost exactly like this one occurs in Surah Ali Imran, the ayah we're about to read. Almost exactly like this one comes up in Ali Imran. But that ayah begins with the word قُلْ and I think many of you know the word قُلْ قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ قُلْ This ayah begins with قُولُوا And in translation you'll find both of them say 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 But what's the difference between قُلْ and قُولُوا قُلْ means say for 
One person. Kulu means all of you say. All of you say. Now the thing is, in, in Ali Imran, Allah told his messenger to say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In Al Baqarah, Allah is telling all of the Ummah to say. Kulu Kulu. Those of you who have Iman, you should all say. You should all say. Another way this has been interpreted is, this is an invitation to those who haven't believed yet. He's commanding them, why don't you just say this? Qulu. But the, the, you know, uh, uh, the more dominant opinion is that the Qulu refers to the believers, who are coming into contact with this criticism from the disbelievers, from Al-Yahud and Nasara. They're commanded, Qulu. Now, when they're commanded to say that, Qulu, that we uh, say, all of you, the question is, why only the messenger was told to say in Ali Imran? And why are we as an ummah being told to say in Baqarah? If you study Baqarah, you, you've already listened to me talk about a lot of Baqarah already. Which nation keeps getting talked about? The Jews or the Christians? The Jews. When Israel keep getting talked about. If when we study Ali Imran, we're going to find something else. We're going to find a huge conversation dedicated to the Christians. So here there's a, you know, and, and Fatiha began, or ended, غير المغضوب عليهم والضالين, الضالين. المغضوب عليهم يذكر في البقرة. They're mentioned in Baqarah. الضالون يذكروا في العمران. So there's this cohesion between the two, right? And what Fatiha says. Anyhow, the Jews, as we've learned, they weren't very good to their prophets. What did they do with their prophets that we learned? يَقْتُلُونَ الْأَنْبِيَاءَ بِغَيْرِ حَقٍ Right? Even Musa alayhi salam, even though the ayah is not in this surah, لِمَا تُؤْذُونَنِي Why are you causing me pain? I mean the messenger that they attribute their survival to. This is the man who helped them, by Allah's permission, get them rescued from Fir'aun. Even he has to complain, why are you causing me pain? I can understand other prophets you gave a hard time. Even Musa alayhi salam you didn't spare, right? So they weren't very good to their prophets. As opposed to that, the Christians... They don't really hold on to the legacy of a lot of prophets. Which prophet are they tied down with? So there are two extremes. On the one extreme, people who didn't care about the prophets at all. And on the other, they cared about their prophets so much that they ended up doing shirk. There's two extremes. And so then you have to ask the question, if the Christians are so obsessed with their prophet, which actually they turned him into an entity of worship, then when you have to take the focus beyond the Prophet to another messenger, then that messenger has to speak to them. قُلْ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ In Surah Ali Imran, قُلْ occurs. To the Christians, they need to lose their focus from Isa exclusively and lose that shirk and also pay attention to other messengers. قُلْ But Bani Israel, they were not obsessed with messengers. Even the messengers that came to them, they weren't obsessed with. They weren't all that crazy about. They even killed, even killed those. So why should we expect they're going to be any nicer to Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? But then the question is, what were they obsessed with? If they weren't obsessed with their prophets like the Christians are, what is it that, that was at their top, like sense of identity, sense of allegiance? For the Christians, their allegiance was to a messenger, Isa alayhi salam. For the Jews, the allegiance has been always to what? Their nation. Their sense of identity. We're Bani Israel, we're the chosen nation. We are the people about whom Allah says, "Anni fadaltukum ala al-'alamin." I've given you preference over all nations. We're the chosen people, so they have this sense of pride, not associated with the Prophet, but associated with nation. And so, to the nation, Allah tells us to speak to them, not as an individual, but as a 
nation. The people who are obsessed with their sense of nation, we're told, them to, we're told to ask them or address them as a nation ourselves. No, no, no. Your nation has been fired. Uh, you know, a new ummah has been placed in your, put in your place. Qulu. These are hints that their status is about to be removed. That's coming later on in this surah. But even now, in Qulu, a hint is being dropped. All of you should now talk to them and say this. Then another interesting comparison that completes this conversation briefly is that in that ayah Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "Qulu amanna billahi," or "Qul amanna billahi in Ali Imran." When Allah is talking to the Christians, He tells His Messenger to say, "Tell them we believe in Allah. We've come to believe in Allah. Wa ma unzila alayna, wa ma unzila alayna. What and what was sent down onto us, alayna, upon us." Here He says, "Qulu amanna billahi, wa ma unzila ilayna." Ilayna. What does Ilayna get translated as? To us. So in Ali Imran he says what was sent upon us. And in Al-Baqarah he says what was sent to us. There's a difference. And the difference, though there's many aspects to this difference. I'll only highlight one of them for now. And that is that the word ala in Arabic expression, it communicates obligation. Like for example, you could say alayka, alayka salat. In Arabic you could say alayka salat. What does that mean? Alayka salat. You have to pray. I have to be at the masjid. Right? Ala in Arabic communicates obligation. One of the meanings of it is what was sent down as an obligation, a responsibility upon us. So when inzal comes with ala, it highlights the responsibility, what you have to do. Who was this said to? The Christians. Now the question is, why was it said to them? Why highlight the responsibility? If you know anything about Christian doctrine, you'll know one thing. Across their many denominations, one of the most common denominators in their different variations in sects and theological opinions is one thing. That there were two problems they had before Jesus came. The two problems they had was they couldn't... Mankind was born into sin, and so we're doomed to go to hell. That's their belief. We don't believe that. They do though. Mankind was born into sin and they're doomed to go into hell. And the only way they can pay for those sins is by obeying God's law. That's, that's before Jesus came. Now that Jesus came, His blood washed away two problems. What two problems? One, they, they no longer have to pay for their sins because the blood of Jesus washed their sins. Two, they don't have to obey the law of God because the blood of Jesus purified them, and they, don't, they, no, they no longer need the law of God to purify them. Okay, they no longer need the law of God. So the Sabbath, and the, what you can and cannot eat, and all this stuff, all of that's gone, because Jesus already paid for my sins. That law, the purpose of it was tazkiyah, to, to cleanse me. But now that I believe in Jesus, I'm already cleansed. I don't need any more cleansing. So that law is basically, according to them, mansukh. They don't, it doesn't count for them. Bottom line, they are no longer willing to take responsibility. They no longer say, I have to do this. I ha- I've had interesting conversations with ministers on this issue before. Like they'll go in their church and they say, you have to, you know, you know there are some even, you know, like popular ministers nowadays who talk to their con- congregations about don't drink alcohol, don't eat pork. They talk about that in church. And you have to ask, why are you asking people not to eat pork? I mean, you guys... I mean, I, I agree with you, don't eat pork, but why? You guys, your sins are paid for, right? So let them eat, let them party. And then why are you telling people not to sin, and not to do, why are you telling your youth not to do drugs, and not to fornicate? Why are you telling your youth to do any of these things? Because if they're doing these things, they're sinning. But that's okay, because their sins are what? They're paid for, it's all good. Why are you even bother? 
There's this inherent contradiction in what they've claimed about Isa salam, and then what they believe. And, 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 and an interesting conversation. I don't want you to have this conversation with your co-workers, by the way. This isn't healthy. If you have people of knowledge and they're coming after us, then I'll sit down with them and, and I'd like to put them in their place. But you don't go around to your Christian co-worker and say, Hey, buddy, Jesus, what's going on? What's the deal? You don't, you don't do that. That's not a, it's not a healthy approach. You're not, and, and your job's at risk anyway already, so that'll just be, you know, aqrab min al-istighna, right? <laughs> so don't do that. But understand, when they come out swinging at the Muslims, then we've got them. People that live in glass houses, I mean seriously, what are you going to talk to us about? Let's sit down and talk about your theology. مَا أُنزِلَ عَلَيْنَا The obligation to live by the law of Allah was highlighted to them. On the other hand, Bani Israel, one of the things they took pride in, they didn't like the messengers very much as we learned, but they loved one thing. If revelation comes, it comes to who? If it comes, it comes to us. It comes to إِلَيْنَا now look, the word ilah is being used when talking to Bani Israel. You understand? Ilah, while ala highlights responsibility, ilah highlights privilege. It doesn't come ila ay akhar, ilayna. So Allah says to them, commands us to tell them, qulu amanna billahi. Tell them we've come to believe in Allah. Wama unzila ilayna. And what has been revealed to us? What's that a reference to? Al Quran. What has been revealed? To us. This is very important for us to understand how to engage in communication with the Jews and the Christians. We don't start with, we believe in the Bible too. We start with what first? Ma unzila? Ilayna. What was sent to us. We're not going to undermine its value. We're not going to say, hide that and we'll talk about that later. No, 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 no. We've come to believe in Allah. And as a result, everything Allah said. Wama unzila ilayna immediately. Wama unzila ila Ibrahim. Then you go to the common ground. Well, by the way, we believe in the Qur'an, but you should too, because it starts from the common ground of the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahima, wa Ismaila, wa Ishaqa, wa Ya'quba, wa Al-Asbat. Asbat, the future lineages, the coming generations. وَمَا أُوتِيَ Musa, wa Isa, And what was given to Musa alayhi salam and Isa alayhi salam. Now the Jews held on to Musa, the Christians held on to Isa. Jews said that Isa alayhi salam is not a messenger, Christians said Musa salam's law is no longer necessary. His sharia is gone. So each of them did something, some kind of zulm to the other messenger. And we come along and say we believe in Musa and with in, in Isa salam. وَمَا أُوتِيَ مُوسَى وَعِيسَى وَمَا أُوتِيَ النَّبِيُّونَ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ Then Allah separated. وَمَا أُوتِيَ النَّبِيُّونَ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ And whatever had been given to the prophets from their masters. We believe in all of the prophets and everything that they were given in its original form. We believe in all of it. But you know, Musa and Isa were bunched together. وَمَا أُوتِيَ Musa وَعِيسَى وَمَا There's ma and ma. And in between those two ma's, there is Musa and Isa. It's like a linguistic parenthesis. The, the first prophet mentioned like this is Musa. And the last one mentioned is Isa. Why? Because these, this is the beginning of what came exclusively to Bani Israel, Musa. What is the final thing that came exclusively, final messenger that came exclusively to Bani Israel? Isa So when, when Allah bunches together Musa and Isa, He's letting Bani Israel know, look, the last messenger I sent you was Isa. Look what you did with him. Why should you deserve any other messengers? Why should you get any more? What did you do with the last one I sent you? <laughs> How did that work out for you? مَا أُوتِيَ مُوسَى وَعِيسَى وَمَا أُوتِيَ النَّبِيُّونَ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ لَا نُفَرِّقُ بَيْنَ أَحَدٍ مِّنْهُمْ Lots of important concepts in this ayah. لَا نُفَرِّقُ بَيْنَ أَحَدٍ مِّنْهُمْ We don't make a distinction between any one of them. 
This has to be understood. The Qur'an tells us to declare that we make no distinction between any of the prophets. And some claimed, and well, how can you say that when we say that the Messenger of Allah is the greatest of the prophets and he led all of the prophets in prayer, Mi'raj, and all this other, you know, these fada'il of the messengers. We have to understand the difference between tafriq and tafdeel. There's a last thing I'll share with you today. Tafriq, and what's the other word? Tafdeel. There's two important words in the Qur'an. Tafriq means to make a distinction and to consider some of them prophets and others I don't consider prophets. So I'm willing to accept Ibrahim and Musa and Isa, but I'm not willing to accept Muhammad That's That would be tafriq. I'm willing to accept Musa, but I'm not willing to accept Isa. This would be a kind of tafriq. The Muslim says, we don't make a tafriq. Tafriq meaning, we consider every one of them a messenger. Every one of them is a prophet. Every one of them we believe in as someone who received revelation. We don't pick and choose and say, well, this one was and this one wasn't. This one was just a man, no revelation. No, no, no. We believe in all of them as prophets. We don't make that exception. Okay. Then what's tafdeel? Allah tells us, تِلْكَ الرُّسُلُ فَضَّلْنَا مِنَ التَّفْضِيلِ فَضَّلْنَا بَعْضَهُمْ عَلَى بَعْضٍ That's coming in the surah too. Those are the messengers. We gave some preference over others. We gave some special gifts more than others. We gave them ranks above ranks. There is a ranking as far as Allah is concerned among the messengers. Now Allah didn't tell us everything about that ranking. We don't know the number scheme for all of the prophets ﷺ. But Allah lets us know as a ala sabil al-mithal, yani, in the way of giving an example, what does Allah say? You know, in that same ayah, وَتِلْكَ الرُّسُلُ فَضَّلْنَا بَعْضَهُمْ عَلَى بَعْضٍ مَنْ كَلَّمَ اللَّهِ for instance, among them were those who spoke to Allah. That's a pretty big honor to have. That's a really... And those who didn't get to speak to Allah directly, by the way, who spoke to Allah, who is this referring to? Musa salam. So in comparison to other prophets who are still prophets, this is a pretty special honor. So it's, you know, darajat, And for others, we elevated them with some other degrees. So there is special favor here, a different kind of special favor there, a different kind of special favor there. There is a ranking among the prophets when it comes to special favors. And the most special of all favors is what? The, the revelation of the Qur'an. And that gift is for Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And then above and beyond that is when he's in the Sidratul Muntaha. When he, come, when he goes in and he converses with Allah, but not on this earth, but when he, Allah has him travel, Al-Mi'raj. Right? So this is a special honor given to the Messenger. And then on top of that, a special honor given to the Messenger والسلام, is, you know, Allah calls it Maqam al Mahmuda. A place Allah has given him on Judgment Day, the praised station. You know, the ability to make shafa'a. Other things that are the special rankings that belong to the Prophet. Anyhow, tilka rusulu ala So we have to understand the difference between tafriq once again and tafdeel. And this ayah is about. Tafriq, not about tafdeel. لَا نُفَرِّقُ بَيْنَ أَحَدٍ مِّنْهُمْ وَنَحْنُ لَهُ مُسْلِمُونَ And we are entirely Muslim to him. Now these words are awesome. Because now in this context, the Muslims are saying these words to the Christians and the Jews who said, if you become Christians and Jews, you will be considered guided. And now we're saying, no, we're Muslims only to him. We're in submission only to Allah. But if you remember these ayat that we've been talking about, these exact words were said by somebody else. قَالُوا نَعْبُدُوا إِلَٰهَكَ وَإِلَٰهَ آبَائِكَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْحَاقَ You know, وَإِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْمَعِيلَ وَإِسْحَاقَ إِلَٰهًا وَاحِدًا وَنَحْنُ لَهُ مُسْلِمُونَ 
Bani Israel, the sons of Israel, the original sons of Yaqub, said these words, Nahnu lahu muslimun. And now a few ayat later, we, the Muslim ummah, are saying to the, the same people, by the way, we're closer to your own prophets than you are. Nahnu lahu muslimun. Nahnu. So they, they have, they take ownership of Ibrahim salam and these prophets, and we say, no, nahnu ahaq. You know, we, we deserve them more. We're, nahnu aqrab, we're closer to them than you are. We say the same words they did. They said, نَحْنُ لَهُ مُسْلِمُونَ And Allah has commanded us to declare those same words again. وَنَحْنُ لَهُ مُسْلِمُونَ Finally, فَإِنْ أَحَمَدُوا بِمِثْلِ مَا أَمَنْتُمْ بِهِ Then Allah tells us, and if they, meaning the people of the book, who in the beginning of this discussion said, you should be guided like us, become Jews or Christians. Allah says about them, if they come to iman, in the same way that you've come to iman, if they, if they come to faith, in the same bimithli, in the way that you have come to faith. Not the other way around. They want you to believe like they believe, and Allah is saying to us, no, if they come to believe like you've come to believe, فَقَدِهْتَدَوْ Then they've come to commit, they're, then they're committed to guidance. You remember what they said? They said, قَالُوا كُونُوا هُدًا وَنَسَارًا تَهْتَدُوا They said, be Jews and Christians, you'll be guided. Allah says in response, no, you, you should know something. If they believe like you, then they're committed to guidance. He didn't even tell us to respond, he just told us, by the way, it's the other way around. Allah responded to them in the ayah, فَقَدْ اِهْتَدَوْا وَإِن تَوَلَّوْا And if they were to turن back, if they turn their backs, فَإِنَّمَا هُمْ فِي شِقَاقٍ Then they're in, complete, in, their, they're in deep friction, they're in a deep you know, chasm, shiqaq is like a division. They're in a deep division. فَسَيَكْفِيكَهُمُ اللَّهِ Beautiful words. The ayah began with the ummah, but it came back to Muhammad Rasulullah wasallam. We have to appreciate the benefits of that before I conclude. فَسَيَكْفِيكَ هُمُ Then Allah will be enough for ka. Ka means how many? You, all of you or one you? One you. فَسَيَكْفِيكُمُهُمْ Kum is plural. Ka is one. So Allah is talking to His Messenger again. The ayah began, فَإِنْ آمَنُوا بِمِثْلِ مَا آمَنْتَ أَمْ آمَنْتُمْ he was talking to the whole ummah. He said, if they believe like all of you have believed, then they're guided. But if they turn away that they are in a chasm, they're in division, and Allah will be enough for you alone. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Why Allah will be enough for you alone? Fasayakfikahum Allah. Against them, whom Allah will be enough for you. In other words, whether this ummah follows you or not is yet to be seen. In the future, sa, soon, or in the future, Allah will be with you. The Muslims are still going to have to prove themselves. Who's the only one among them who's already proven himself? The Messenger of Allah, And the Muslims are being told, by the way, you have no guaranteed seat. The Muslims are, even the Sahaba are being told, you better hold on tight. Because it's not like, this is what the previous nation did. They thought, when Allah is talking to you collectively, that all of you are guaranteed in the future too. Say, Allah. No, you better hold on and make sure you're aligned with this Messenger Because if not, then Allah is enough for you, O Messenger, against them, against Bani Israel, and against the, the Nasara who are saying these things. And Allah is all hearing, all knowing. He hears everything that they, they uh, He hears everything that they say in front of you. He hears everything they say in front of you. He also hears the things they say behind your back. And how they say, man, he is a messenger, what are we going to do now? You know, he hears that too. He knows everything that's going on. So we'll conclude with this ayah. Barakallahu li walakum fil Quran al-Hakim. Wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم صبغة الله ومن أحسن من الله صبغة ونحن له عابدون قل أتحاجوننا في الله وهو ربنا وربكم ولنا أعمالنا ولكم أعمالكم ونحن له مخلصون أم تقولون إن إبراهيم وإسماعيل وإسحاق ويعقوب والأسباط كانوا هودا أو نصارا قل أأنتم أعلم أم الله ومن أظلم ممن كتم شهادة عنده من الله وما الله بغافل عما تعملون تلك أمة قد خنت لها ما كسبت ولكم ما كسبتم ولا تسألون عما كانوا يعملون الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ثم أما بعد وانسجان السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته We're at the end of the first juz of the Quran and this is still um, very much in the middle of uh, Surah Al-Baqarah and we haven't even really reached the half point yet uh, nonetheless here uh, if you recall the last ayah we talked about it concluded in this way Allah told his messenger that he Allah will be enough for you against them and he hears everything and knows everything and then he this form of speech that is coming in the ayah, it requires something more in translation. You can't just translate it word for word and expect that the listener will understand what's being said. Just to give you a little bit of background, in Arabic, it's a very common thing, especially in classical Arabic, to not say the whole thing and to expect from the listener that they can fill in the blanks themselves. And to give you a very primitive example of that in English, you know when we say it to something, somebody, great, we don't really mean great, we mean that is great. But we don't say the whole thing, we just say the, the, you know, the predicate of the sentence and we assume the rest of it is implied or understood by the listener. That would be a primitive example of what happens in Arabic. In Arabic, the way this is done, this is, you know, in English we call this omission, right? In Arabic, the concept of hadf, you know, omitting something, is, uh, is far more advanced. And usually in English, when we, when we omit things, the thing is very obvious. And in Arabic, usually it's some kind of a verb. And so for instance here, we have Sibghatallah, Sibghatallah. How I would love to explain to you the grammar of Sibghatallah, but we know that most of us aren't students of Arabic, right? But it starts with the mansub, it starts with a fatha. And you know how you say Subhanallah and Subhanallah, the noon has a fatha on it? That actually means there's something before that that is understood that, you know, that's, that the Arabic listener will understand or the, the student of Arabic will understand something more is being said than just subhanallah it's actually usabbihu subhanallah awsabbihu subhanallah awnusabbihu subhanallah something is there but for the average person they, they won't see that the same thing's happening in sibghatallah it's actually like some ulama say ikhtarna sibghatallah sibghatallah literally means the color of Allah the color of Allah that's an expression it's a figure of speech what does that mean? Actually, the whole expression means we have adopted the color of Allah. In other words, imagery is being provided in the ayah. This is an ayah of imagery. A lot of Arabic is, is pictures. Like paintings or pictures are drawn through words. So I want you to understand this picture that's being painted. You know, if you pour color or paint on top of someone, they're completely colored in that their clothes, their face, everything is colored in that one color, right? They're immersed in it. 
When you say Sibrat Allah, you are saying you have through and through adopted Tawheed, the oneness of Allah, the uniqueness of Allah, the lordship, the authority of Allah, the acceptance that Allah is the master and you're the slave. You have adopted that entirely. You are painted in that color. You've been immersed in that color. That is the only thing about your identity. In other words, and this was really powerful, a powerful statement to make to the, the Yehud especially, because they identified themselves with nation first. They identified themselves with nation first. And if you remember the conversation before, they were reminded of the legacy of Ibrahim alayhi salam, whose primary focus, Hanifan, right? His primary focus was Allah. So now we're going back to the legacy of Ibrahim alayhi salam with this beautiful expression, Sibghat Allah. And then Allah says, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ مِنَ اللَّهِ سِبْغَةً What better color? In other words, what better adaptation? What better personality will you have than the one that Allah demands? وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ مِنَ اللَّهِ سِبْغَةً and then, then, then we uh, make this declaration. This is what you should say to them. In other words, qulu is implied here. وَنَحْلُ لَهُ عَابِدُونَ And we alone are the ones that, that uh, are worshipping him. And so th- there are two implications here. In نَحْنُ لَهُ عَابِدُونَ There are two implications that are very powerful. The first of them is, we're the ones that are doing worship of him. Not you guys, actually. You guys think you're worshipping him, but you're not. نَحْنُ لَهُ عَابِدُونَ and the other is نَحْنُ لَهُ عَابِدُونَ The لَهُ مُقَدَّمْ The جَارْ مَجْرُولُ مُقَدَّمْ implies We're only worshipping Him We're the ones that only worship Him When you worship, you mix something else into the You bring something else into the picture But when we do it, we keep it exclusive نَحْنُ لَهُ وَعَابِدُونَ It's more powerful than saying نَحْنُ عَابِدُونَ لَهُ There's a difference in the format of speech Anyhow قُلَ تُحَاجُّونَ لَا فِي And then the, the, the format goes back and now Allah makes us question them. Notice this passage began, they were questioning us. Be Jews and Christians, you'll be committed, you, then, you, then you'll be committed to guidance. Then you'll be considered guided. Now Allah says, no, you ask them back. Tell them, are you going to debate us about Allah? Are you, are you really going to debate us about Allah? I've heard actually on, on Christian talk radio, and like a lot of, nowadays there's like two genres, two steady genres going. There's Christian talk radio, and then there's Christian political talk radio. And they're, they're getting closer together now, right? And uh, on a, most of the time they're just bashing deen, like I've told you before, bashing Islam. And one of the things they talk about is the word Allah. And how the word Allah is, you know, they worship the moon. And that's what the, what the word was for worshiping the moon god. And that's why they follow the, the Muslims follow the lunar calendar, because they're obsessed with the moon and they, they actually pray to the moon. Right, that's what they, I actually read this in textbooks. And, and this is not even now, this is back in the 90s. When I was in high school, and I was taking global studies, when it came under Islam, yeah, Muslims worship the moon, and that's why they follow the lunar calendar. Like, wow. This is all, I didn't know that. I, this is new to me, I'm Muslim. <laughs> right? But this, you know, this idea of even uh, being condescending to the word Allah, what's incredible is that the Christian Arab Christian community is far older than the Muslim community. They're an old community. And the, the, the Jews in Arabia are an ancient community. They're not a new community, they're an ancient community. And both of them, in their literature, when they talk about Allah, they use what word? They use Allah. And actually the European renditions of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, which are much later in history. The, the, the word God, as is used nowadays, is from the German word Gott. It came from German. But the older, the more original word to the Christian tradition is Allah. The word Allah is more Christian than the word God. More Jewish than the word God. It's original to them first. 
And yet they, today they can argue with us about why you pray to, why don't you pray to God? Why don't you pray to Allah? Who's this Allah? It's like, why don't you read your own book, buddy? You know? This is still found in their books. But nonetheless, here are more fundamental questions being asked. Why are you arguing? You're going to argue with us about God? He's our master and your master. This is a really important thing. Allah Azza wa Jalla didn't hear just say, He's our creator and your creator. You know, when we talk about Allah's names and attributes, sometimes we just, they're so ambiguous, we don't make the distinction between them. He's our creator, He's our Lord, same thing, you know? Why is Allah saying in this ayah particularly? What are some of the benefits? He's saying, why are you arguing with us? While He is our master and your master. What's the difference between a creator and a master? When someone creates something, like you know, and the closest thing to creation we know in the world is like manufacturing, right? You can manufacture a car, you can manufacture a table, you can manufacture something. After you manufacture it, does it necessarily mean you have control over it? No. You can manufacture it and then sell it. You can throw it away, you can do whatever you want with it. Doesn't mean you have constant control over it. What's a master? What's a master? A master is someone who owns it, has control over it, has authority over it, he can do whatever he wants with it. Just because my car was made by a Japanese company, doesn't mean that company can come and claim my car. I own it now. I do what I want with it. They can't do what they want with it. They're the creator, but they're not the Rabb. They may be Khaliq, but they're not Rabb. The word Rabb is being used here. Now let me explain why this is important with a very, it's, it's a silly example, but I think it gets the point across. Now I picture the scene where you're sitting in your office cafeteria, and there's like four or five of you colleagues, in lunchtime you're sitting in the cafeteria and you're making fun of your boss. You're sitting there arguing about how the boss is ugly or fat or smells or whatever. You're just insulting the boss left and right and how he's not qualified and your granddaughter could, your, 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 kin, your kin, kindergarten daughter could do a better job than he can and I don't even know how he got this job except you're just going off on your boss and you're arguing about him. And you have no idea that he's standing behind you. You have no clue that he's standing right behind you. Now, if you knew that he's standing behind you, would you talk like that? No way. You would never debate about the validity of uh, his validity, knowing that he has the authority to do what? Fire you. If it's some other guy, you might not care. You could talk however you want. When you recognize somebody has authority over you, has power over you, they can do whatever they want with you then even if you have opinions, you would just you'd shut your mouth. You'd watch what you say. You're arguing with us about Allah, and He's our Rabb and your Rabb. We're not going to talk about Him the way you guys do. Just to win an argument, you know, in argument, people start saying things, insulting things, condescending things, just to win an argument. The Muslim recognizes, I may be arguing with them, but I'm talking about Allah, I'm going to watch my back. I'm going to watch what I say. I'm going to be very careful how I talk. I'm not going to cross a line just to win a debate. Then he says, And to us, the only thing we will have is our deeds. This is ikhtisas also. And you, all you will have is your deeds. Some people have misunderstood this to mean you can have your way, we can have our way. You can do, you have your deeds, we have our deeds. Actually, lana ikhtisas here, it means something more, more than just you do your thing, we'll do our thing. Lana means what we, what we have done, when are we going to get paid for it? The lam here, what we get, what we're going to have. When do you get it? In the akhirah. We will earn what we did. We will have what we did. And you will have only what you're doing. Lana a'maluna wa lakum a'maluk. It's a warning. 
We're watching it. We're, we're the ones committing ourselves to Allah and we'll earn from that. You're saying these things about Allah. Don't you think you're going to earn that? You're going to pay for that in the Akhirah? وَلَكُمْ أَعْمَالُكُمْ And then you say, and by the way, in the Akhirah, what are the only kinds of deeds that count? Since A'mal came up, deeds came up, what are the only kinds of deeds that count? You can do good deeds, what's missing? Sincerity, if the intention is missing, nothing counts. Your famous hadith, I think all of you know, what's the famous hadith? إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالِ مِنْيَاتِ Now look at this ayah. He says, لَنَا أَعْمَالُنَا وَلَكُمْ أَعْمَالُكُمْ وَنَحْنُ لَهُ مُخْلِصُونَ and we are the ones that are absolutely sincere to him. We're the ones only sincere to him. And we're the only ones sincere to him. Actions are mentioned, ikhlas is mentioned. How beautifully Allah ties things together, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he makes us question them again. Are you saying that Ibrahim and Ismail and Ishaq and Yaqub, Yaqub who they call Israel, they call him Jacob, sometimes they call him Israel. Quran also uses the word Israel for him, right? And their lineages, they were Jews or Christians? Is that what you're saying, that they were Jews and Christians? How are you saying that? Abraham is way before Moses. How is he Jewish? You're saying that your religion begins with Musa salam. How are you calling him Jewish? How is the Christian calling Abraham and Moses, how are you calling them Christians? And if you're not calling them Christians, why are you calling them believers? Because according to you, the only believer is the one who believes in Jesus Christ. So how are you calling, what kind of believers are they then? You know this is a problem in Christian theology, they had to grapple with it for a long time. And they came up with a whole bunch of theories to deal with these prophets that are mentioned in the Bible, that Allah praises, the Bible praises them, and then they say, well, they didn't go through Jesus to go to heaven. So how are we going to figure this out? Because now that means that they had another theology and we're coming up with another belief system to get to paradise. Then purgatory was developed. In other words, these prophets, and especially in the Catholic tradition, these prophets, they did good, but it's not good enough. So there's heaven, and there's hell, and then there's the elevator in between. And they're in between, and on judgment day, Jesus is going to come and press the button and say, now you can go, you've gone through me. Until then, they're not really good, they're not clear yet. So they started saying these things about the prophets, you know. And so, even if they look at it historically, how are you going to... How are you going to have regard for Ibrahim salam and then you say that he's not, he's, you know, if he's chosen, then all his children are chosen for the, for the Christian, from the Jews on the other end. If you're saying Ibrahim salam was chosen, then you're saying, you know, Allah tells us about him, that he chose him. You know, if he's chosen, then all of his children are chosen. Why do you pick only one brand of children that are chosen? What about, what about all the other kids? And then they start saying inappropriate things about those other, the other lineage of Ibrahim And yet you find even Ismail is praised in the Bible. The things they say about Ismail is, it contradicts what their own books say. So Allah questions this before. And just think about this. This would require extensive knowledge of Christian history and Jewish history. And who's saying this to them? I mean, they, if they don't believe, who do they think? This is not Allah talking to them according to them. Who do they think is talking to them? This messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, who they make fun of, then they say he doesn't know anything. He's ummi. He's not lettered. We're the people of the book. We have research. And Allah says, well, Allah tells his messenger to question their research. <laughs> Ask them, where'd you get this from? Antum a'lamu amillah. Then Allah asks the question. You think you're that knowledgeable? Are you more knowledgeable or Allah? Antum a'lamu amillah. وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ كَتَمَ شَهَادَةً عِنْدَهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ Who could be a worse wrongdoer than the one who hides a witness he has from Allah? 
Inshallah ta'ala, I'll make this a project for myself for next Monday. I'll share something amazing with you next Monday. There's a, 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 a great scholar of the Qur'an, a literary, in, in Shariqah. He's originally Iraqi, Dr. Fadl Salih Hassan al-Ra'i, who's written a book called Al-Nubu'a al-Muhammadiyah min al-Shak ila al-Yaqeen. It's an Arabic book. It's a fantastic book. And he actually did a radio on a TV show on it. And in this TV show, he takes the old copy of the Bible, the Arabic Bible, the Arabic Christian Bible, and he takes a passage out from that Bible. It's written in very difficult Arabic. And he explains that passage. This is a passage from the Bible. Now, what does the passage say? The passage is a passage in which God is talking to this blessed land. And the word, the, the name used for the land is Bakka. Bakka. What's the, is Bakka used in the Quran? Another name for? Mecca. And Allah is talking to this earth and telling it how He has blessed this earth and how He will send it its final messenger and how this messenger will have a mark on his shoulder and how people will reject him and how he will revive the legacy of his, the father Ibrahim. Oh my God, it's spelled out. And inshallah, I'll share that with you next week. But this week, just listen to this, this part. وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ كَتَمَ شَهَادَةً عِنْدَهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ Who could be a worse wrongdoer? That would, then the one who hides a witness, a, a witness account that he has with him that came from Allah. Who could be a worse wrongdoer? In other words, your books are screaming at you that this is the messenger. They're screaming, your book is telling you, it's witnessing that this is the messenger of Allah. Who could be a worse criminal than that? You're telling us, Why don't you read your book? What are you doing? You're hiding Allah's book. And Allah is not at all unaware of the things that you're doing. You know, interestingly enough, right now, Allah is still addressing them. What you are doing. You here refers to Bani Israel still. You know, because they're the ones that are hiding the testimony. At the same time, this refers to the Muslims. So they're being warned. They are hiding their book. They're ashamed of some parts of their book. Because it doesn't go with their agenda right now. You don't become the same. You don't do that crime with your book. You don't become shy of any part of your book. You don't do that crime. SubhanAllah, Allah has protected His book, so we can't change it. But you know what other crime we can do with our book? We can just, care, just conveniently not talk about some parts of it. Let's just not talk about it. Because it's, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. It's in the Qur'an, but why even talk about it? You know? SubhanAllah. You do, we do that, and we're in more trouble, not just with people, but with Allah Azza wa Jalla. And it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. You know? And it's not like if we don't talk about these things, those who hate us are going to hate us any less. It's the only thing is we've made a new enemy now, and that's Allah Azza wa Jalla. You're hiding His book. You're not, we're not doing anybody a favor by hiding our book or shying away from you know, uh, clearly explaining the teachings of our book. And wallahi, I tell you, most of the cases of confusion and extremism that are in the ummah today, you know why they are? Because we haven't made the effort to clarify Allah's book. So people read it on their own without properly studying it and make crazy conclusions. And that's where all this craziness comes from. Because we don't think we should be able to explain it. SubhanAllah. وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ كَتَمَ شَهَادَةً عِنْدَهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَمَا اللَّهُ بِغَافِلٍ عَمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ Finally, تِلْكَ أُمَّةٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ We're being told again. We're being, after Allah gives them this like scolding, now He turns to us again. And He says, that is a nation. And this is the, Allah is talking also about the Prophets, Ali that is a nation, قَدْ خَلَتْ They're gone. لَهَا مَا كَسَبَتْ وَلَكُمْ مَا كَسَبْتُمْ They already earned what they earned. That nation has already got what it earned. They're, they came, they made their payments, they made their efforts, and they're gone, and now they're reaping those benefits in the akhirah. وَلَكُمْ مَا كَسَبْتُمْ And you'll only have what you've earned. You better get to work and earn it. 
You will not be interrogated about what they used to do. You will not be asked about what they did, you will be asked about what you've been doing. This is a change of focus. Because you know, this was a disease of Bani Israel. They would praise their history. Even to this day, they praise Musa salam. Even though Musa salam himself was like, why are you causing me so much pain? But afterwards, now you'll find they praise Musa salam. Even then they would praise him, and they would say good things about him too. But none of that praise would translate into action. They would praise the prophets, they would take pride in them, they would take pride in their history, their legacy, but it wouldn't translate into any action. They would just say, ah, oh, how awesome they were, and let's go over the story again, and what a great tradition it is, how inspiring the story is. Now, can that become a problem in the ummah, that we talk about the prophets, we talk about the Messenger of Allah wasallam. we're obsessed with praising this Messenger wasallam as we should, and yet, after all that praise, it doesn't translate into action. It doesn't translate into, well, that praise is supposed to lead to something. It's supposed to lead to a sense of allegiance and, and obedience. It doesn't translate into that. You know, my, my, my teacher used to tell me, Rahmahullah used to tell me, you know, that in, in some parts of Pakistan, there are like these nasheeds, not is going on, right? And the guy is like going at it. He's just like, he's really into it. And people are like swinging and they're all in love with the Prophet And the adhan is going on. And Maghrib is going on in Jama'ah and this guy is too busy praising the Prophet ﷺ to actually obey him. <laughs> right? What, you know, this delusion happens where there's a distinction between taking pride in your history and your legacy and actually becoming a part of that history and that legacy. So that shouldn't happen to us. We shouldn't be that, you know, that disconnect should never happen. And I tell you, that phenomenon exists in the Ummah today. There are people who love the Prophet of Allah ﷺ. They love him. They express that love for him in many different creative ways. Let's not talk about the legitimacy of those ways. Let's just understand that they have a genuine love for him and appreciation for him. They do. And yet, there is not even a, like a passing thought, a fleeting thought that maybe I love him so much, maybe I should try to be like how he was. Maybe I should try to raise a family as he advised. Maybe I should have my financial issues dealt with the way he would want me to deal with them as was guided, given the guidance, according to the guidance given to him by Allah that thought doesn't even, I just love him I'll do whatever I want to do but I love him too That's, this isn't love this is not love so I leave you with this very simple straightforward hadith of the Prophet it's a sahih hadith it's very beautiful, very straightforward no complications in it every one of you is going to enter paradise except the one who refused the Prophet told the Sahaba, every one of you will go to Jannah, except the one who doesn't want to go. So the Sahaba are confused. Woman ya'ba ya Rasulullah. Who's gonna refuse? Messenger of Allah. Who's gonna refuse? The one who obeyed me will go to Jannah. And who disobeyed me, he didn't want to go. The one who disobeyed me refused. That's refusal. <laughs> That's refusal to enter into paradise. May Allah make us of those who enter His paradise. May Allah make us of those who commit themselves to the beautiful sunnah of His Messenger wasallam, and give us a clear and, and uh, sincere understanding of the Qur'an. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ni wa iyyakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.